I know that gum. I used to chew it when I was a kid. That's my most favorite gum in the world. That gum you like is going to come back in style. Drop it. Duncan and Bo come correct. Hey everyone, it's Bo here uh, of Duncan and Bo Go to Twin Peaks fame. With me as always, my friend Duncan. The ills are never what they seem, Bo, and they, I, I distrust them more as the episodes go on. Yeah, I think by the end of the second episode we're covering tonight, I don't think the owls can be trusted at all. No, nope. you know, it's like a, a baby a babysitter with bloodstained clothes, just not <laughs> not trustworthy. Um, I'll never be able to watch Harry Potter again, ever. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that till you just mentioned it. But yeah, yep. like the the fact that they're cavorting with all those owls just proves that all witchery is evil. Evil, burn them, burn them. The wizarding world of Harry Potter, more like the wizarding world of Satan. Satan and his evil minions. Um, Only Harry Potter. Sorry, Harry Potter. That's my <laughs> fake that? British accent. I don't know what it was. <laughs> We're getting started badly. Um, You're better than that, Borans, though. Am I? I don't think that's true. <laughs> Uh, so there's a, a couple of housekeeping notes to attend to real quick before we jump into our discussion of two more episodes of, uh, of Twin Peaks. First of all, <laughs> nothing's happened in the last week. Just, just wait for it, will ya? Um, <laughs> so first of all, Duncan. Yes. Um, I've been hoisted by my own, uh, petardsies, apparently. Oh, no. Because I did a, a call uh, for for questions, you know, like uh, people seem to be enjoying the show. It's always fun to interact with uh, with listeners of the show. I hesitate to call them fans because who could possibly be a fan of this? I think it's more <laughs> like the rubberneckers who, you know, tap the brakes to see the the true horrors of the accident unfolding. I just it, thought it was like people that felt sorry for us were like, oh, they've got a little podcast. How cute. Yeah. Oh, what a cute little podcast! I don't even know what that is. It's like it's like English. It's like English Nadine. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Ed, Ooh. I'm a chimney sweep. I'm in a wee bit of a coma, Ed. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Actually, it should be supercalifragilisticexpialacoma. Coma, coma hawk. Uh, coma hawk. So, all right. Fucking. When? Speaking of, I gotta I gotta do a shout out to um, we are so all right. Getting back to the original point, so I asked for questions, right? And uh, so what people did instead is bitch, uh, because <laughs> they bitched. They, How dare they bitch? They pissed and moaned, Duncan. Actually, it okay. was on. So three okay. and a half hours that last episode was for nothing. You got it for nothing for free. And all right, free. And all right, so a quick shout out uh, to, um, geez, I, I, I think it was Darren Wilson, uh, who who pieced together a bit of artwork. Uh, he's like, he's he's either, he's he's either like got some sort of app that just seamlessly allows him to create Photoshop quality splicing of images, like at the touch of one button. Or the man has already preempted every conversation that any podcast will ever have and had already made 
all these pictures because they drop really fucking quick and they drop fast. So, well, so he says, uh, or he had basically was talking about Hawk's like final form. I, I kind of almost uh, thought of it as like a video game boss, like you get him down to half health and then mm-hmm. Hawk would evolve into something even more badass. And uh, it was a picture with a uh, like an actual hawk with Deputy Hawk's head, which is awesome, or Deputy Hawk's body with the hawk head. And which of those is more fearsome? And I, you know what? I I gotta say it's probably the hawk body with Deputy Hawk's head to me. See, I'm going the other way around. Yeah. I'm going the other way, and the reason behind it is that I think that we already know that Hawk's body is vicious with throwing things, especially large bladed implements, and giving them the Hawk beak. My God. The only thing we've not seen Hawk do in real life is bite someone, but if he had a (laughs) Hawk head bow, my God, could you imagine? Yeah, it, it would be impressive. I mean, no doubt, but like it, so the artwork has been amazing, but here's where the bitching comes in. And right, I, don't, like, I don't unleash the bitching. So what happened was I asked for questions and in both posts, separate people said, don't you mean Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies? No backsies. <laughs> and that's in fairness. We, we rebranded last episode. So. R- right. So. Fuck me. The show is now <laughs> called. Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies. This is That's right. Fuck Bo. I like this. I like how we're starting here. Fuck Bo. It's Fuck Bo. You know, all right. And also, speaking of the potty mouth. Oh. So, uh, here's a problem that's cropped up on the network as a whole. Uh, And I I will pause here to tell. It's me, isn't it? No, no. It's me. Uh, But, all right. So, that brings me to the other housekeeping note, which is um, uh, speaking of the, the potty mouth the bathroom talk, the locker room uh, shenanigans. Um, so, like, w- this is not a business. Let's not kid ourselves. There's nothing professional about anything we do here. But Why am I going to sit then? I, <laughs> I can only assume it's to honor the dear departed Agent Smith. <laughs> I don't understand why I'm in Duncan's cupboard. I'm dead now on this show. <laughs> Why Boom. do people keep referring to me? <laughs> so, all right. But so one of the things I wanted to point out, like, like we have a, a few shows on the network that just do gangbusters numbers, you know, obviously uh, probably leading that charge for us is the young upstarts over at the, the Hail Ming power hour, which mm-hmm. is a show you've been on. It's a show I've been on. It's a wonderful show. Yes. Um, what I have noticed uh, is that Hail Ming plays it straight. They don't work blue, Duncan. And I don't know if that's an expression that made its way across the pond, as the kids say. <laughs> I, I know what I, I know the terminology. It's not something that we would use over here, though. What would you say uh, about, like, all right, so they're just working clean is what I'm getting at. They're, they're a PG-rated show at worst. Right. And I don't know what the term is over here. Maybe clean. I think it probably would be a, a clean show or one that doesn't have profanity. Yeah. So I, I sample the the shows. I mean, we 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 publish like 
800 shows a week at this point. So I can't <laughs> listen to them all. Give or take 790. <laughs> uh, you know, it feels like a lot. Um, so, uh, so I'm sampling the shows and I run across uh, the Cinema Psyop show. <laughs> I don't know how do you pronounce it and <laughs> oh, I was ready for that oh dear so I'm giving it a listen and it's just F-bomb after F-bomb and I'm not saying we run the, the squeakiest clean show around these parts on, on this particular uh, Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies Ugh. so <laughs> Can't believe I did it to myself. I know no I did. Backsies, no backsies. No backsies. No backsies. Hey, look, we are nothing if not honest with our listeners, as this bit clearly points out. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm listening to the court psyops, and it's just it, it's just filled with bad language. I actually dropped them a message, and I, you know, I might have referred to them as garbage people. I, that might have happened in the course of the voicemail. I'm not saying it didn't. I'm just saying it could have. And the sort of show that might end up in the back of a bin lorry. Oh, you son of a... Yes. <laughs> oh, the garbage trucks that could be filled with the kind of bad language that was coming out of the Psyop. So, so I'm just saying that as sort of a network initiative, you know, is like, let's... I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I told them. Maybe we put a bar of soap in the mouth. Maybe we give it a suck or two. You know, that we we clean it up around here just a tad. Fuck that. This is what I'm talking about. Fuck that, Bo. Fuck that. Fuck that up the ass. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Listen, I like to think, I like to think that the podcast Under the Stairs, as one of the more elder statesmen of the Legion Podcast Network, having a character like the Baz on it has really trailblazed a road for all these upcoming shows that have come over, like the cinema, Psyops, as we're now calling them, apparently, um, to to express himself freely, to explore all the colourful metaphors and all the, the, the beautiful range of profanity that's out there. In fact, Baz has invented quite a lot of it. In fact, on the previous episode, I believe, and I may have said it in a low tone, but I called you a cunt, Bo. In my country... That word can be used as an insult, but it can also be used as a term of endearment. That's how the Scots view things. I don't want a clean network. Fuck that. Who wants a clean... You're taking all the fun out of it. It works for Hail Ming. You want to know why it works for Hail Ming? Because you have a soundboard. It's fun. Not everyone has a soundboard, and if you don't have a soundboard, you replace those soundboard buttons with fuck, cunt, <laughs> ass, shag, rape. You know, like all these things. You, you like, bastard. You replace yep. a soundboard with rape? Yeah, you've obviously not heard the upcoming. No, you haven't heard the upcoming episode. Like we we t- we go off, we go off on them. You replace it with anything, anything that gets a anything that gets a smile, a chuckle, a wince, or a reaction is what you do. And I like the guys over at the psyops. That's right, psyops, not psyops. Whatever. I like the guys over there. I like the cut of their jib. You want to know why? Because I listen to it and I'm like that. These guys could be Scottish. These guys, <laughs> I can imagine sitting in the Glasgow pub drinking with these guys. I, you know, that's what, what I like. I will agree with you there. I listened to that show and I thought these guys ought to be Scottish. <laughs> so look, I, you know, there's no, we're not bringing any hammers down or anything like that. And, and actually I would encourage listeners 
if, if you were a subscriber to the Legion podcasts uh, iTunes feed. If you're not, why not? Um, you should be. Also, you should uh, check out both Hail Mean Power Hour and Cinema Psyops, and you decide for yourself. Don't listen. do this Twilight bullshit. So instead, of what we're going to have Team Psyops and Team Ming. Is that what you're doing right I'm, now? No, 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 no. I'm not <laughs> trying to position them against one another. I'm simply telling our listeners, give them both a listen. You decide, as a conscientious listener, who, like, which show do you want to gather the, the kids around the podcast radio? <laughs> as, if, as if this oh, were gosh, 1933. You, you gather them around, you pop some popcorn, maybe, have a delicious Coca-Cola. And listen to an entertaining show about horror movies. And, you know. Hello, Marjorie. Dear, bring little Timmy here and let's sit around the podcast right now. I believe <laughs> Cinema Psyops is about to start. <laughs> what <laughs> is going on here? Church Hill, I hear, is going to give an address. Uh, we will have time on the beaches. We will have time on the streets. So, anyway. Just chill, apparently. Right. Uh, so, that that's the end of the housekeeping. It was just, you know. I get the feeling that maybe way. you're being a bit a bit cheeky here, a wee bit sneaky, Bo. I think what you're doing is saying to our listeners, divert your attention to Hailming, divert your attention to Cinema PsyOps, and don't divert your attention to the fact that we have rebanded ourselves to a name that we're no longer comfortable with a week on. <laughs> I, I, it's not that I'm uncomfortable with the name, because clearly <laughs> it came out of my mouth and it was something that made me laugh for, you know, half a second. Yeah, but we're, we're we're a week on now, and we're we're a bit more sober than we were, and I've had sleep in between then. So, yeah, yeah, it's one of those moments where you're like, "That's a funny joke. That's a funny joke that dies with this episode." Oh no, it's not. Right. Um, well, and the problem is, like, the show art and everything had the the peaksies in it, and and all that, which I thought was funny. I was like, "This is funny for this episode." Did laugh, did laugh at it, but I'll be honest, I giggled, I chuckled, <laughs> I had I had a good time with it. I could only listen to the episode once through though because i got to a certain point about 40 minutes from the end when a certain bo ransdell did a mic freak out noise which went and then i laughed at myself (laughs) laughing for about 10 minutes like 10 minutes i was still giggling um as a combination of that noise and the sound of me laughing so i I can't listen to that episode anymore that's unfortunately a one and done for me i i'll tell you that moment in all of the podcasting we have ever done together, and it is hundreds of hours hundreds. at this point. Um, that is maybe my favorite moment because you just like every time you think it, it's like the waves coming in, every time you think you're done, that the waves have come out, it's just another wave afterwards. It yeah, is, that's how I laugh though. That like if if something hits me just right. And it's, unex- it's inexplicable as well, because it, it's never anything consistent with me. If something hits me just right, and it's happened on every show I've appeared on at one time or another, I don't think it's fully ever happened on this show. I've had some laughing fits, but maybe not to that extent. But if something hits me just right, you can lose about three minutes of a show to me just giggling. Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> I, but, I don't yeah. know why. Yeah, but it was a good one. It was a good one. It was a, it was a very good episode. I feel, though, that... Um, once we finish our housekeeping notes, we have two episodes that flow very nicely into each other and have a huge scope for more shenanigans. Oh, I look, look we can't plan for shenanigans, unfortunately. It's, it, you know, shenanigans happen. That's why they're shenanigans. Hopefully. Yes, um, hopefully they do. 
But, but, uh, before we jump into that, mm-hmm. um, there is also a uh, a bit of, you know, tradition. Yes, it is. Uh, which is just to talk very briefly. Uh, well, it, it's planned to be, to be brief, but let's be <laughs> honest. Um, about what we've been watching. And I feel like I always go first because I bring it up and I say, well, here's what I've been watching, Duncan. And fuck what you're watching. And that That's I don't... exactly how it comes across as well on the shows. <laughs> I'm glad you're acknowledging it. That's the first step in the recovery program is to acknowledge how much of a dick you are. Yeah. And then you can... <laughs> Put faith in a higher power. Um, I just had a flashback to an old Saturday Night Live bit where uh, they did Betty Ford's 12 step- Steps of Christmas. All right. And Johnny Cash was the one who sang... Or, you know, not really Johnny Cash, it was uh, whoever they, I think Phil Hartman was Johnny Cash, but it was, that was the step he sang. Put faith in a higher power. Um, and it always That's actually a pretty good Johnny Cash there. I'm, look, if this show has proven nothing, uh, that's the end of that's, that. That's minutes. an accurate statement, we should just leave <laughs> that there. Yeah, that's it. This show has proved nothing. <laughs> right, we have, we have done nothing to help in the understanding of the show Twin Peaks. All we have managed to do is get you to the left to the point where I thought you were probably going to pass out. And the way I thought, the, <laughs> the way I always describe this show in my mind to myself, the way I justify it is that's essentially the end of American Psycho, in which Patrick Bateman says this confession has meant nothing. Um, and that's kind of how I feel this show. Like, this show's going to end at the end of everything, and people are going to be no wiser, no better off, no more knowledgeable than yeah. they were if anything if anything they have con- you know contributed a considerable amount of time to listening to it so if anything you've lost time and and, and we're responsible for that and I, I like to think that that's the greatest trick that we the devil ever pulled not not kaiser soze pretending the world didn't exist it was making people think that we knew more than we did and then getting them to commit many hours listening to nothing but it's a podcast about nothing like, wh- tell me what you did today, Duncan. Nothing. That's a podcast. <laughs> that is a podcast. Welcome uh, to my day of nothing. But, uh, no, so uh, what, have, what have you been enjoying and or not enjoying recently that you would like to share with our valuable listeners who insist on calling the show Duncan and Bogo Twin Peaksies for no good reason? <laughs> we need to stop blaming the listeners. It is our fault, Bo. That. It's 50-50, but go on. <laughs> well, you know what these shows are. We can always just reboot it again, start from the beginning and rebrand ourselves again. We've done that like how many times since we started this? Three times? Yeah, I think that's right. Three times. Right. Um, there's obviously, there's an elephant in the room here that or a white horse bow. <gasps> oh, <laughs> goodness. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, because we started to talk about this and I was like, shut up, Duncan. We'll talk about this on the air. Um, yeah, we kind of. I think we kind of need to, without really going into anything, because we are eventually going to cover it. But um, this is a very special week for uh, Twin Peaksies listeners. Um, no backsies, no backsies. Um, and that the time finally arrived that Twin Peaks season three returned um, to, from what I can gather, from what I've seen, fairly glowing reviews. I haven't seen really any negative reviews there have been people that 
you know, in the the reviewing circles, the the, the people that are are paid to do what we do for nothing, but um, who have made comment on some things that they think maybe aren't necessarily stellar in the show, but not in a negative way. They're just like, well, it's just come back, it's finding its footing or whatnot. Um, but yeah, the show returned. I have seen the first two episodes, which was a, technically like a feature long movie length um, episode, and I have episodes two and uh, sorry three and four still to watch. But yeah, I watched it, and um, I think I to say I am excited about what's going to be coming up over this eighteen hour long standalone Twin Peaks season um, is an understatement. I never realised how much I'd miss David Lynch um, as a, as you know, as a voice. I mean, Inland Empire was 2006, 2005, I think, 2006. So he hasn't really done anything in the realms of, you know, cinema or TV, like proper, in 11 years. A sizable amount of time. And I hadn't realised how much I'd missed that voice. And within the first 10 minutes of the, the episode, I was kind of sitting there going, he's going to do it again. I genuinely think as Twin Peaks reinvented the wheel um, for television in the early 90s, I have a sneaky suspicion that uh, Twin Peaks Season 3 is kind of going to do the same thing again. I think it's really going to start to spur TV to go in a weirder direction, which I am one hundred percent for. I can't, I can't wait to see how it goes. That that first double episode that dropped really didn't tie up anything at all. It just like rebuilt an entire world out of the pieces that you left the previous season with in a way which just felt amazing. Um. And some of the visuals were phenomenal. And you know what? I th- the, the biggest thing for me watching it back was I start. Remember how we keep talking about how influential Twin Peaks is as a TV show? Yes. How it really did kind of make other television shows take gambles or writers, you know, try and write things that were out out with the norms of what they were doing. And it was funny watching this one back and seeing how many TV shows I could like in the new Twin Peaks season two. Like, I was watching it going, oh, well, that feels very much like Lost. Or oh, this feels very much like True Detective. You know, or this feels very X-Filesy. You know, like, watching them all, but thinking, that's right, because Twin Peaks influenced all those shows, and what it's coming back to do is reclaim. But in a way where it still felt almost as if they were they were doing it first again. It's the weirdest experience. Um... I, I fucking loved it. Um, I know we're, I, I don't want to say anything more about it because there is, I can't wait to talk about it in what will be ostensibly about six weeks' time, I think, for us, um, yep. give or take. Um, but when we get to talk about that, that episode is going to be a ton of, and then this happened, and this happened. Did you understand why this No, I don't understand why this happened. And then this, well, yeah, of course that happened because this happened. Well, did that actually? Well, yeah, that happened. Um, it was just insane, but it finished, and I was so excited because I know this is Mark Frost and this is David Lynch together as writer and director for eighteen hours of television. This is this is what to me this is the 
that episode felt like elements of Mulholland Drive. It felt like elements of Blue Velvet. It felt like elements of Lost Highway, all wrapped into one. This is a TV show that David Lynch wanted to make. I, I personally feel wanted to make when he was trying to pitch Mulholland Drive as a you know a new TV show, and it got knocked back. And Lynch just had to wait twenty years, <laughs> you know, for the climate to change and TV to catch up, so he could re restart what I think is one and it made me think Bo are there any other directors out there that I think we've had a conversation similar to this before any other directors out there that we would really like to see do a whole season of TV and I always come back to Cronenberg I would love to see Cronenberg We, I think we spoke about potential you know for wouldn't it be cool if Cronenberg got his chance to run a series of True Detective and how fucked up and weird that would be and I, I got really excited. I was like, Lynch is obviously doing this. And now I, I think if it's super successful for Lynch, I'm kind of hoping that this happens for other directors, that they get the opportunity to sit down and tell a story over 18 hours. And more play to it, I thought it was phenomenal. Did you watch it? I did not. Uh, oh, fuck, bro. No. Well, oh, and, boo. And here's boo. why. Here, Shame. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> Walk, yeah, walk through the streets of King's Landing. Naked, Bo, naked. Shame. It's the only way I walk through the streets. <laughs> but, all right, so the reason I haven't is because there's part of me that's really enjoying going through season two right now, mm-hmm. knowing that at the end of that, we're going to do Firewalk with me and yep. then launch in, into the new season. And I'm kind of waiting to do that and and by the oh, time i, I get to that <laughs> by the I, time i honestly don't know how you can i like i i couldn't i don't have the discipline i'd be too scared that it was spoiled on the internet for me well i i don't know how to read um so that's <laughs> that's in my corner plus i don't think anyone can spoil the show from what i gather from what i've read online no one's understood the fucking thing that's happened in it right and, which i'm kind of like well played lynch well played Right, and I would expect kind of no less. So, if, like for me, I'm I'm on the journey with the listeners. So, uh, when we get to and and probably what's going to happen is once we do Firewalk with me, then I'm just going to watch all of the new yeah. Twin Peaks, and that's the other reason I'm kind of letting it stack up a little bit. Is mm-hmm. I want I want to be able to just indulge myself. Yeah, and uh, so. Yeah, haven't watched it yet. I might, like, this time next week, I might be like, I totally watched the first three episodes. And it was <laughs> came, so good. Yeah. After the week. <laughs> um, because I really do want to watch it, but there's also that part of me that really is enjoying the, like, okay, I'm watching, like, a couple of episodes of Twin Peaks a week. We come together, we talk about it, and then I can kind of seal the, uh, uh, you know, seal that set of episodes in my mind a little bit and, mm-hmm. and sort of enjoy following the story because particularly in the episodes we're talking about tonight, there is some genuinely like great creepy stuff and, and probably the best Ray wise stuff in oh, any of this, this series happens in, in tonight's episode. Yeah. I, I personally think that this to me, these two episodes are the ones where I think how Ray wise didn't, become a bigger actor after Twin Peaks surprises me, you know, like genuinely, because I think he is fucking amazing like in these two episodes so much range as an actor just like a phenomenal on-screen presence 
that it kind of it kind of bums me out that you know he does bit bit stuff here and there and he's he's always been active but never really got that like to me he is like poised perfectly here to be like a horror movie villain he would be a great like you could script something around him as a character um, and just let him go uh, so yeah, he so, yeah. Should, in terms of he oh, should oh, be in dr giggles too yeah <laughs> let's make that happen um right so like i will very quickly do my one you can very quickly do your one and then we will we will fire in headlong into what we're doing uh, on this show this week i went out to see uh, colossal at the cinema which is a new film by nacho vigalondi or Vigalondo, sorry. Right. Writer, um, director he, of Los Cronos Crimenes. Yeah, Time Crimes is one of the most underrated kind of horror movies of the last decade, I think. I think it doesn't get nearly enough love. I, I think it's wonderfully weird, and it's a great fucking story. I think it's phenomenal for the budget it had. So this is like this is a big budget film. I mean, this has got, you know, A-list star cast, um, and Hathaway for a, for a start, you know what I mean? Um, and it's it's a it's a weird kind of comedy drama science fiction movie with a really kind of dark conscience that kind of pulsates through it. As the thing I thought while watching it is this film felt wholly unique. I couldn't think of any movie at all that I've ever seen that that was like colossal and and essentially what we have is a a, a, a girl played by Anne Hathaway who has her issues with alcohol and she's you know on a bit of a slump has been for a year and her her living boyfriend or sorry she's living in with the boyfriend basically kicks her out because he's had enough of her shenanigans and she returns back to her hometown and kind of continues the lifestyle amongst friends that she grew up with including one boy that used to be very close with her but she's you know um has not seen in a while who, who clearly is in love with her um and or trying to control her manipulator and she finds out very very quickly that if she walks through a play park outside her house that a giant <laughs> what can only be described as some kind of giant kaiju appears in korea um and emulates exactly what she she's doing and the story kind of unfolds from there um i thought it was wonderful i thought it was very 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 fun um it has a really dark kind of there's a, there's a dark heart in the movie and there's a there's one bit that happens in the movie and i was like this you know you know there's a lot of comedy in here but this bit's actually kind of fucking serious and the message itself speaks to almost like this it's, it's like weirdly channeling um, a message of anti-domestic violence um which i thought was once again handled really well tonally it's all over the place but if you are looking for unique cinema experiences um, or to go and see a story told in a way which you've never seen it done before, Colossal is pretty much at the top of the list this year for me of things that I just thought I'd, this has come from left field. I, you know, I I kind of had an expectation. I did not know the movie was going to go there, um, 
and it was just a really enjoyable movie. I, I thought it was I thought it was really really good, and he's a great director. I, you know, I, I'm glad that that's him finally getting a bit more of a budget, bigger you know bigger cast and stuff to to experiment with and play with, and hopefully the movie does enough business that um, another big studio bankrolls another project by him. I think he's uh, I think he's a wonderful talent, and I can't wait to see what he does next. All right, yeah. I mean, I I haven't seen Colossal yet. It is definitely on my radar, and I think uh, you'll like it. Yeah. I, I, I've got this. I've got this feeling that you. I think you might have issues with a couple of bits. There's there's a couple of things I have issues with, but I can't really go into them without spoiling it, and I don't want to spoil it. Um, but yeah, I don't think you'll see a movie like this again this year, or potentially for any years to come. I think it's going to be one of these weird oddities that's just going to kind of be. Remember that movie that came out that did this? Yeah, man. Um, I think that's I think that's that one. So yeah, I think you're gonna have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I, you know, I, I saw uh Los Cronos Criminis mm. in uh in the theater and uh was really surprised by how much i love that movie and and still kind of do so mm-hmm. um yeah I, I will definitely check that out i would uh well you were watching your twin peaks i mean who would watch that show duncan um <laughs> oh shit i forgot what show we were doing um everyone watches twin peaks duncan but i took a break everyone. from that um to catch up on the uh the series feud the Ryan Murphy um, eight episode uh, serial, I guess you would call it. Um, yeah, I heard you guys talk about this on Devour. I'd never heard of it before. I hadn't seen it. I, I'd heard that it was coming just because I saw an ad for it somewhere or another. And and it sounded like I, I haven't watched the past. I didn't watch any of the last season of American Horror Story, I don't think. Oh, you need to get on that, sir. Oh, was it good? I because I kind of fell off on the uh, the circus one. Which one oh, was that? there's been two really good ones since since Freak Show. I thought Hotel was a really good. I watched I Hotel. Hotel was all oh, right. Good. So Hotel was the previous one before Roanoke. Then okay, so I didn't watch Roanoke. Yeah, I think you should watch that one because I think it it very cleverly addresses a lot of the concerns that a lot of horror fans have about footage and horror movies in general nowadays. I think it does it in a very intelligent way where people mistook the writing as being dumb um, without understanding that it was deliberately being dumb because it was making a point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, there's a whole hell of a lot to enjoy about that one. It really throws itself. Like, you, you talk about weird and creepy scenes, like proper horror, like really going for it. That season has that and, and spades. Uh, it, it's probably the most horror horror story they've done yet and it might not necessarily finish as strong as i like the, the way it ended but i like the way all of them end because by the time you get to the end of that journey you're just like right it's an end and fine i can accept it let's move on <laughs> um but but everything else about that season is super cool including their weird creepy homage to like a, an asian horror kind of ghost which appears a couple of times in it and is absolutely fucking terrifying hmm, um okay. So you need to get on that. But I think this is this is Ryan Murphy's stick now. So he's got American Horror Story, which does its, you know, one one season, one story sort of ensemble casting. He's done his O.J. Simpson, you know, American, what was it, crime uh, story or whatever they called it. 
um, which is basically the same idea. Each season will will write uh, or will basically tell the story of something that happened in America. So this season that's coming this year is looking into Hurricane Katrina and the after effects of corruption within New Orleans. So, you know, that's that's the thing he's doing there. And I gather that this is the same idea with Feud. He's basically going to every season cover a famous Hollywood feud. Not um, uh, not Hollywood. The next one is rumored to be uh, Charles and Diana. Oh, right. Well, that's quite interesting then. Um, but so in, in this series, at least, uh, the Betty and Joan feud, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. I think okay. I, I, I expected to enjoy it. And then I watched one episode and I was like, well, son of a bitch, that was great. And then watch the next one and then the next one. And by the end, like I literally started Friday night as I was going to bed, like I'll watch an episode of this. Let's see what's up. And by the end of the weekend, I was done. Um, <laughs> because once I started watching it, I got, I just got so sucked into it. Um, it, it takes place just prior to, whatever happened to baby Jane and goes from that point through essentially the end of, um, Joan Crawford's life. Mm-hmm. And Joan Crawford is played by Jessica Lang and, uh, Susan Sarandon is, is Betty Davis. They are both incredible per- performances. Uh, and, and what I think makes the show as good as it is, is that the show really highlights the disposable nature of actresses in Hollywood mm-hmm. and, and presents, you know, within the first episode, this isn't giving anything away. If you haven't seen it and, or have never heard of old Hollywood, which was despicable. Um, but another shout out to the uh, podcast. You must remember this. Just listen to any episode about a former like 1930s slash forties era uh, female star and they all begin the same way well they were essentially prostitutes for within the studio <laughs> system until you know they had their big break and gained some measure of control over their lives or they didn't and they just died as alcoholics um and and that's kind of where this show is placed it's you know people who are two women who came of age in the studio system which is now failing and are trying to get just a piece of the fame that they once possessed back. And it, it's fantastic. It, I mean, it, it's such a smart show. It's it's well acted. Um, it's genuinely fascinating. If you enjoy the movie, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which, good Lord, how could you not? Mm-hmm. Um, they do a nice kind of behind the scenes on that, but it only takes up really a couple of episodes of them actually making that movie and then it it goes on from there but by that point you're so invested in the lives of these two women who are very different like betty davis was kind of recognized as a serious actress uh that was very talented and joan crawford was the beauty star you know she was she was a movie star uh, uh that didn't necessarily lean on her acting chops to be a movie star and as she gets older, she's trying to find some sort of redemption, some sort of uh, um, uh, affirmation that she wasn't just a pretty face, which she no longer has. 
and it's it's wonderful. You ought to watch it. It it it's an incredible experience to uh, see what transpires between the two women. But the real tragedy, I think, of the show is that presenting them as women who are so remarkably alike, yet cannot ever because of themselves and 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 their the outside influences of Hollywood are are never allowed to be friends. And it, it's fantastic. Uh, it's just the best. Loving it. I'll catch up with that. It seems like something I would, I'd, I'd quite like to. I'd, I'd, anything really that Ryan Murphy's done of late that he's put his name to is, to me, I'd, you know, he's, he, that's enough to get me to watch it. You know, just his name being attached. I love Scream Queens as well, even though that's been cancelled. I love both of those seasons. Oh. I thought it was a whole hell of a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, anything his name's attached to. And I think the fact he's. He's kind of, he's really expanded out and he's really doing a bit of everything and he's getting phenomenal performances out of A-list actors and actresses or even on some level, you know, like former A-list actors and actresses, I think is, you know, is pretty phenomenal as well. So he obviously has a passion for what he does. And I'm just waiting for season three where we get the William F. Buckley versus Gore Vidal. Oh, that would be so good. Could you imagine best of enemies extended out so we could see more into that that would be the greatest fucking thing ever if you're listening Ryan Murphy I came up with that first and I expect a small cut a small cut 10% that's all I'm saying idea factory that's what this show is this Um, is what it is consistently Bo consistently one other thing to tease you it's a total throwaway in the show like the, the whole cameo is maybe three minutes long but if you could pick anyone to play William Castle not because of physical appearance, but just that level of kitsch. Who would be the perfect person to cameo as William Castle in your mind? Oh fuck! Um, there's loads of choices here. I, well, I, I'd be I'd be tempted to see something like Lloyd Kaufman or something like that. Uh, almost as good, physical. but better. All right, go for it. Uh, John Waters cameo. Oh, you're joking? No. As William Phenomenal. Castle. It is perfect. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's just wonderful. Um, so anyway, if you had no other reason to watch Feud, catching John Waters as William Castle as he attempts to sell an audience on the movie Straight Jacket is, <laughs> oh, it's a thing of beauty. Um. Speaking of things of beauty, Duncan. Oh, yes. Let us begin our journey back to Twin Peaks. Ease. Yeah. Um, Where we left it last week, a thing of beauty had had her face smashed repeatedly off a, a picture of her hometown. And then um, shit went south after that, though. Yeah, things got weird. Um, we don't, unfortunately, have... Uh, Gordon Cole there to recap the episode for us, uh, which would be great. He hit her right in the face. <laughs> it was disturbing, but sexy. Um, instead, uh, we open on episode eight entitled Drive with a Dead Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode, great title. Yeah, great it, title. It is a great title. Um, it is directed by Caleb Deschanel. 
who is a cinematographer nominated five times for an Oscar. Dear God. For films such as The Right Stuff, Mm -hmm. The Natural, Mm -hmm. uh, National Treasure. He was not nominated for that. Oh, thank God. Um, Killer Joe. What Nicholas Nicolas Cage say about that? <laughs> We've got to find an Oscar for him. Um, <laughs> quick, turn over your... God, oh, he, I fucked it up. I fucked up the joke. Be, he, he might be the only actor that is not set to appear in the new season of Twin Peaks. Uh, kind of, part of me kind of feels like we're missing out on the genius that could be a, a Cage Lynch collaboration. That's all I'm saying, David, I just don't get it. I'm as weird as they come. Um, he also did Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter and Jack Reacher. Uh, oh, oh no! So his career's kind of slumped. Uh, you know, he's making money being a cinematographer. I don't know if that's a slumping career or not. Um, it may. Yeah, I mean, you might not be doing the right stuff, but come on. Um, it is written, uh, by Scott Frost, whose oh. name may sound familiar, and that's only because he's the brother of Mark Frost. Ah, there we go. Who wrote this and an episode of Babylon 5, apparently. I do like the Babylon 5, so. Well, he, he wrote an episode of that, um, but that's pretty much it. He, he's done a couple of. Like he did uh, the autobiography of um, Agent Cooper that was a novel that he wrote. And then he's written like a series of five detective novels. So not so much a TV writer as a more literary sort these days. Mm -hmm. But yes, as you pointed out, we begin where we ended uh, at the home of the Palmers only... um, we are hearing it's night outside when we first see the house and we hear screams uh, for someone asking for help inside. What we know from the last episode is that a Bob possessed Leland is uh, doing an Ike Turner on, <laughs> on Maddie. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's, she, he's taking her to not Bush city limits. Oh, uh, is he ever? She missed a note in Proud Mary, and now she's getting a little Proud Mary of her own, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, we found out at the end of the last episode that uh, Laura's killer was her father, Leland Palmer, who appears to, for the last 40 years, according to Mike, because um, uh, <laughs> that's his new name, um, <laughs> according to Mike, um, has possessed his body for the last 40 years. This is like this spirit. He's just tagging on like some sort of weird parasite. Um, And we will more likely get more information as to how things travel out, especially when we get to fire walk with me um, uh, about, you know, the, the, the lead up to essentially what happens to Laura Palmer. But at this point, we now know that Leland Palmer is a murderer and we're in a position where Ben Horn's actually been accused and locked up for said murder. And as a result, it's kind of left Leland with the opportunity to get rid of his niece, who was about to essentially leave the household. Um, Bob took over and Bob's a bit mischievous. Bo, mischief- he likes to have. What is it? it? Mischief and mayhem and delight. 
yeah, Mayhem and Delight, which, like, the way that I said on the last episode, the way that Mike describes it makes him kind of sound like Jim Carrey in The Mask. Uh, when, when it, like, realistically, he's not like that at all. He's absolutely fucking terrifying and murderous. And he's kind of... We got to see that right at the end of that last episode. And one of the most kind of fucked up, truly jarring scenes and in both series um so yeah so that's that's where we, we kind of we come back to leland palmer has killed poor maddie um and yeah we have to process that and we kick right into this no no like this is the morning after it's like we start right off hearing the screams that the previous episode finished with which i think is is a is a bold choice yeah i i do I, I dig the fact that we go from that to the contrast of the following scene, which is <laughs> the Palmer household the next morning. Yep. With Leland Palmer all suited up like you are right now, Duncan. Obviously, because uh, this is what, Paul. This is. Uh, I should put on pants at all, quite frankly, but. Eh. Yeah, I, I'm rocking a business suit. You're rocking the one button suit. I am, I am in one of those. Uh, male rompers that are all the rage oh, now what the fuck is that about right ladies and gentlemen can we have an intervention right now can we have right i under right i understand well i don't understand man buns i think they're fucking repulsive right and you know i'd lived through the phase of guy liner and you know like fucking guys who are wearing you know like makeup products for men to you know make them look more attractive to women or you know the people of the same side you know i've lived through all these things and you know the, uh, manscaping and all, all these little terminal the male romper needs to fucking die and the person that thought it was a good idea to begin with he should be he should die can we can we get like a terminator constructed and send Schwarzenegger back to that point or maybe the point where he was born so they can take the baby off and smash his head off a wall. I, I don't get it. I don't understand why it's a thing. And what's worrying is that everyone's like, yeah, why is it such a thing? Why is it such a thing? Which is just making other people want to wear them. I've never seen one on a living person other than No, because you would, you would slap the person <laughs> if you did. You would I, roll up a newspaper, go across, smack them on the nose with it and say, bad boy. I, I agree. Collide them. It, it, it's real dumb, uh, and it's right up there with man buns. Man buns are, yeah. are real stupid looking too. Yeah, I um, don't get. It. I don't get. It. It's, it's when I don't. You know, maybe I, I think to myself, maybe it's just because I'm getting older, Bo. And it's not. It's not that at all. They're fucking ridiculous. Sorry. I was drinking. It was a hard, bitter truth pill for Bo to swallow there. It was. It was. I had a. <laughs> peel right out of that romper i was in um uh now it's just all natural and i mean all natural that's what um, i said the one button suit your belly button is that what that means yeah all your right birthday suit. i thought it your was one button suit. i thought it was the butthole no <laughs> once again you're the one that said i was the one that was fixated on anal things right I, I think what this show has proven the further you're talking about my not button me. all over the place. I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> your belly button. There's only one part of your body that has the word button in it, and that's belly button. It's not anus. Not asshole. I don't. If like, someone's referring to that as a button, you should be worried. 
Uh, I always call the belly button the navel, and the anus <laughs> my dirty button. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> and any, like, I could just imagine Bo treating himself one one Friday night to to yeah, maybe maybe a, a bit of some kind of Mexican street cart food because I, I believe that's everywhere in America. And maybe an, a, a, an escort or mm-hmm. two, yep. and bringing them back to uh, Shebo. Yeah, um, yep. come in, ladies, and uh, and they're like that, right? It's um, you know, it's it's fifty dollars for you know a massage. It's it's hundred dollars for a massage with a happy ending. It's two hundred and fifty dollars for for a little bit of intercourse, and um, and you're like, uh, um, how much is it for you to touch my dirty button? And them just being repulsed, just like horrified, and them running out the like down the stairs. Ah, I mean, I, me. do I don't want, want to touch his dirty butt. Do you want the answer to that question? Because I know how much it costs. <laughs> do you have a receipt? Half a burrito. It's just so you can claim it, it back on, on on Legion podcast expenses. You're we right. Need a receipt to take it from petty cash. I yeah, the all the petty cash uh, that Legion podcast generates. Um, yeah. All spent on sex workers <laughs> touching my dirty button. Your dirty button. I, you know, that should really be the new <laughs> motto of the network. <laughs> Touch my dirty button. Touch my dirty button. Where you can have your dirty button touched, perhaps. Oh, this, this is, this is, this is run away. Right, anyway, uh, anyway, we, like you said, we juxtapose the scene in the morning. Uh, Leland Palmer is not only wearing a suit. But he's doing something which I would consider quite reckless, Bo. He's playing indoor golf. Yeah, well, he's got his little putting green, but he's really going after these swings. Yeah. Um, he's using an iron, not a putter, an iron. And he's chipping the balls against his chair. Kind of floral pattern sitting chair. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of golf balls all about the floor. There is no evidence, though, of a body ball. Well, and uh, Sarah Palmer, his wife is calling to him from upstairs as well, which implies that in the last episode, she was just drugged all to hell or something. It, it was weird because we we know in the past that she has had an adverse reaction when Bob's been present. She has freaked out. She has passed out. She's become hysterical in the past. But I kind of, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think that maybe she was, maybe Leland did drug her. Um, or maybe, like like I say, she has some sort of weird effect. But she was in the living room, passed out, essentially. And um, she's obviously been moved upstairs. And she, she's woken up. And, um, yeah, she's calling down to Leland. And, and Leland, you know, wants to answer her. But at the same time, he has some guests. And one of the guests is, like, a nice guest. You know, the sort of one that you would like to have around and speak to and see how they're getting on. You know, how you get on with your life. Another one is James. Yeah, I honestly. James is tolerable in this episode. Actually, he's actually very un-James in this episode. Well, he doesn't say that much, which helps his cause quite a bit. Uh, I think it's just because, like, he's he's obviously had his chain pulled. You know what I mean? And he's just de-stressed. He's like Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, and there's something about Mary. You you never got well-loaded gun, Bo. I mean, yeah, right. You got to flog the dolphin. I get it. Um, <laughs> So they come over and they're like, hey, we want to say goodbye to Maddie. 
and James says, she looks like Laura. And <laughs> and everyone in the room, like, takes a pause. It's just like, all yep. right, count to ten. <laughs> and then Leland, all smiles, is like, you know what? She left already. I took her to the bus station, which is what you do with the family member. You just drop them off at the bus station. Yep, that's, um, that's, what, you, that's what you do, Bo. That's what you do to ungrateful nieces who stay rent-free get fed at your house and all the rest and then decide one day they no longer want to be there anymore they just want to leave you and your wife in the hollow misery of your empty tomb of a house where your daughter no longer lives because she's been murdered all right he's just like off you go you sow to the <laughs> bus station with you um be gone harlot <laughs> right foul temptress <laughs> it's almost a jean-luc picard um <laughs> number one bring me a foul temptress uh, uh, hello, number one. Make it so. Gee, El Grey hot. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. Um, Data, come touch my dirty button. <laughs> oh, no. I this is more Bo's fantasy fucking next generation <laughs> porn. <laughs> he's, 50 shades, he's 50 shades of the next generation. Captain, is this what humans do? <laughs> humans? Yes. yes, it is, Mr. Data. Yes, it is, Mr. Data. Three knuckles in. <laughs> oh, that was about to get there. Damn it. All right. <laughs> um, so, what the hell's going Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Leland Palmer is there with Donna and James, who's, who's being stupid. Rummage around like you're trying to find a lost penny. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be surprised if you find some old gum, Mr. Data. It's a long story. <laughs> Commander Riker left something up there last week. He performed the Riker maneuver. <laughs> the uh, Riker maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Taking it right to the final frontier, boy. Oh. Um, let's 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 bring it back from there, though. Yeah. There so many um, people have gone before. Am I right, Mister Data? <laughs> Hello, Mr. Data. Now dress up like a sailor. Um, <laughs> and sing and sing the NHS pitiful. <laughs> which they do in one of the movies. Oh, yeah, God. yeah, yeah. It's, it, uh, <sighs> Generations, as a matter of fact, I think is where they do that. Why um, do they do it? It's not oh. good. Um, all right, so <laughs> but so he's like, yeah, I took that, that foul harlot of a, of a Maddie to the bus True. station. How dare she comfort me and my wife? Um, and and drops her off at the bus station, and uh, you know they're like Donna and James. Oh well, Donna, let's be honest, is like, well, I wish we could have seen her, you know. Um, and Leland says, well, we thought you were coming by last night, but apparently, which is such a dick thing to do because he knows she's dead. Right, right. You know, you know, you know, she seemed really upset that you didn't come round to see it last night. So that will be your last memory. <laughs> um, the last thing you will have ever done is disappoint her. Disappoint her before she was fucking murdered. Um, um, and but yeah, it's, it's like, a, yeah, it's, you can write a letter to her. Like, you know, I mean, in fairness, it's, you know, 1992 or whatever. Yeah, um, but there's mobile phones kicking around in this episode. So they did exist. Yeah. So they off they fuck. Yes. Um, and Leland grabs his golf bag. Uh, yeah. from the closet uh, which contains the 
plastic wrapped <laughs> stop me if you've heard this one before a <laughs> plastic wrapped body of a girl who looks remarkably like Laura Palmer wait one second wait one second I do right Bo I'll set the scene here all right. So Pete is making himself a cup of tea. He's about to go fishing. He walks oh. down, turns around the corner, and there is a body wrapped in plastic. It's the dead body of Laura Palmer. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Twin Peaks. That's right, Duncan and Bogo at Twin Peaks, because it's before Twin Peaksies. And this, this is episode one of season one. Let's do this, Bo. Yeah, let's retcon all the way back. Um, <laughs> No, let's not do that. There's so yeah, much... So it's, it's... It's quite it's so disturbing though because there's just a hand in the bag. That's what always sees this hand sticking out, and he's just all like, tosses the bag in his car, like lowers uh, the the sunroof. Mm-hmm. Is that what you call it? Yeah, yes, yeah, the rag top. Anyway, I, I know you're trying to you're trying to get a rise out of me, but no, like, I'm not trying. No, I was trying to remember. Like the sunroof is just the uh the the square Some support all at the top yeah right. this is this would be the, of convertible, the convertible top, top. yeah okay yeah so he lowers the convertible top starts singing surrey with a fringe on top um and I and takes off any songs but there's there's something quite interesting like about this like this episode in general because in the past in the past however many episodes we've watched 14 15 now at this point um episodes of twin peaks we have seen maybe if we're lucky five six instances of bob and this episode we see six instances of bob we see like it's like the bob count goes through the roof every time leland does anything that involves a mirror we get bob hi he's like that i'll fix my tie goes in the mirror oh it's bob fixing a non-tie Gonna, you know, I'm gonna comb my hair. Oh, look, it's Bob combing his hair with that evil smile on his face. Um, so yeah, so we get the clip obviously of him fixing the tie in the, in the mirror. It's Bob. We get him sitting in his car looking in his rear view mirror. Guess what? It's Bob. Um, Bob's everywhere in this episode. Bob and Leland in this episode. Yeah, it. In fact, I I had kind of joked with you earlier that we would just call this episode "What About Bob." Um, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Because that's what goes on this entire ep- like both of these episodes are just what what's going on with Bob. Uh, yeah, for the which most is part. good though. Uh, which is good though because there's no there's no need now to hold that mystery. We know that Leland has Bob inside him and we know that Leland has you know, it would piss me off if we had an episode where it didn't really address these things or try and continue that story on so fair play to them as as a tv show they're pushing forward with this storyline because this storyline has a shelf life so we need to we need to kind of progress with it and yeah he dumps the body in the book shuts the book lowers the top on the car sings a little ditty and and drives out and yeah Everything is great in the world of Leland. Maybe not so much for Maddie, but Leland, it's all Leland at the moment. Things are coming up Trump. And he does not know yet that his business partner and client, Ben Horn, has been arrested for his crimes. Well played, sir. Good segue. Because we now join Ben Horn and Brother Jerry at the yeah. uh, the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department, where he, he is in a holding cell. And basically, we're doing a quick recap of like, hey, I'm charged with this murder. The only person who knows for a fact that I was not there 
was uh, Catherine Martell. See you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell. See you next A.K.A. Mr. Tojimura. Which we learned in the last episode, uh, yeah. disappointingly. The, the, great, the great secret reveal that shocked a nation. <laughs> right. Even, 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 more, even more surprising than who shot J.R. It was it Catherine Martell, the See You Next Tuesday that we know she is. It was actually playing the most racist character ever to appear on TV. I mean, it's it's top five. Uh, oh, it's up there, definitely. And <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, you want to do it. You know you want to do it. Just get your system. No, I'm good. I feel good. <laughs> Everything's gonna be fine. Um, because I all right. So there's something I want to talk about about this scene. You tell me what you want to talk about this scene, Bob. Tell me. Because all right. So not only do we get the you know see you next Tuesday and you know most honorable Ben Horn. <laughs> Yay! We also get Jerry has a book that just is called Criminal Law. That yes. is my favorite thing about this scene. And so Jerry's like, "Look, see you next Tuesday." Catherine Martell is dead, so we can't get her to confirm your whereabouts. So you're kind of hosed. And also, hey, they have bunk beds in this room. Let's have a bizarre flashback to when we were kids. And a babysitter, question mark, came into our rooms and just danced around with a flashlight for a while. I wasn't sure if it was a babysitter or if it was the mum. It it, like, it was not a babysitter that much, I know for sure. It was very, very strange, but she comes in with a flashlight and does a kind of weird, kind of sexy, swishy, 1950s sort of dance thing in the doorway. And it mesmerizes these boys. And on some level, this could be... Uh, a glimpse into what has maybe made them like Twin Peaks perverts. <laughs> the old TPP, that's what we call our <laughs> listeners. The Twin Peaks that's perverts. The, yeah, the Twin, twin Peaks that's a, that's, that's the, the, the Twin Peaks perverts are our softball team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're all wearing like Audrey's bowling shoes and... <laughs> Uh, Nadine is our cheerleader Um, Go team! As as she's, you know, ripping the fences out from the roots Um, Yeah, she's the sort of, like, every now and again you see those those things in baseball movies um, Where, you know, that they have one last pitch to throw And it comes in and that person swings the bat And they hit it with such velocity that the bat snaps in half That's just Nadine just when she grabs the bat, it just snaps in half. Yeah. Nadine looks at the bat, it snaps in half. It, yeah. Oh my God. It's. Uh, anyway, I, like, Nadine is not. I don't think she's in either of these episodes. We get a little bit of Big Ed, but Nadine yes. is coming up in. Oh, she comes back. And uh, she comes back. And, and, a, and a, a force, force jour, I think is what they call it. Yeah. Um, so when she comes back. <laughs> So I reckoning ju- shall be held. I just want to let the listeners know, yes, we may not get a ton of Nadine in this episode, but literally the very next episode is going to be Nadine heavy. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> which is the which is the fan fiction that Bo has also written about that character. Nadine heavy as she's... Yes, yeah, a- where she just goes and I'm eating binge and she can't stop. It's <laughs> my, my other fetish. It's like, like Bo's fetish of being a feeder to Nadine. Oh my god. 
I let's let's not give the listeners anything more to draw. Um, well, the thing the thing is, at that point, her voice becomes less shrill because she now has rolls under her cheeks and then you know in her neck. So she's just like, "Blamange, give me the blamange, oh, give me the blamange, Ed, Ed, give me the blamange." I don't know why it's blamange, but I like the word blamange, and I think she would eat blamange. Ed, get that Hot Wheels track and put it in my mouth. Now pour <laughs> syrup down it. I was just thinking to myself, though, knowing how you Americans are with things like nougat um, instead of nougat, is it blamange to you guys? I don't know what that is. <laughs> blamange. Blamange. All right, let's let's do a quick check because I, you know, oh for fuck's sake! Like, who are you? Like, I, I'm glad. Listen, let's acknowledge the listeners came to my defense with yeah. the Twinsy Times. A hundred percent. I have. Uh... I have never seen nor tasted uh, Blancmange. 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 But it's Blancmange. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. That's what the kids would say. It. What would it, how, how would Wilford Brimley <laughs> order that? What's that goddamn cold white pudding? <laughs> Blancmange. What? Black man j- jizz. Give me. <laughs> I want you to put the black man jizz on a cold plate and get in front of me right now. God damn it! <laughs> god damn it! Oh god, black man jizz. There, uh, go. there we are. Did not know where that was going. So glad that we did it. So glad no, we rolled with that joke. But it, it should come as a surprise to no one, based on the last episode. Here's a thing I've never heard of that's probably totally a thing that everyone eats all the time. It just never came up in my my roamings of the world. It's it's like a it's 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 like a milk based it's it's kinda like a panna cotta. Do you know what a panna cotta? Am I, I just like speaking of right, it's kinda like panna cotta, but um less exotic, more kinda jello based. Yeah, it that's what it, it seems like and uh it looks delicious so it is very nice yeah it seems like a very very sweet is is how it strikes yes blancmange i don't know why i i I thought nadine would love blancmange but it just came into my head and it was a horrible horrible aside but it did lead lead to black manges which is one of the greatest things that happened on this episode so um but I, I, i think it also points out the fact that sometimes you say crazy shit that i don't immediately leap on Yes, because I'm often wrong, and I don't want to give you a, like Ben Laurie. I feel confident that at no point am I going to go to say North Dakota and have someone refer to a garbage truck as a Ben Laurie. the The Twin City Twin City thing. I got a little big in my britches about that. You did, oh, did that. and then I found out that Nashville has like 14 Twin Cities. Yeah, that's so right. um, <laughs> of course it does. It's Nashville, and and four of them are actually Nashville. <laughs> it's twin with it's weird. itself. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the South. Um, <laughs> Nashville did it with Memphis, and actually, it would be Nashville copulated with Chattanooga, which is a good town, and the result was the abortion that is Memphis, Tennessee. That place is a shithole, sir. Anyway, um. <laughs> So, uh, Lucy has a sister. Yeah. All right. Back to this story. 
so Lucy shows up with a baby and her sister in tow. The baby is, of course, her sister's because Lucy didn't have a baby in a day. Yeah, but and, we can see the joke coming on this a mile away. Yeah. And they only pause uh, as they arrive at the sheriff's station um, or sheriff's office to encounter one Deputy Hawk. Um, and Gwen immediately is like, oh, you're Native American, goddamn Native American, proud people. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's like, you're Native American, you must hate white people, to which Hawk, uh, responds, I don't know, some of my best friends are white people. By the way, I'm out of here. This seems stupid. Yeah. And so... <laughs> I love Hawk. I love him so much. He's like, this scene is beneath me. Right. I'm gonna say this one line, and then I'm gonna fuck off. To a better scene. <laughs> to a better scene. Gets in his car, drives to a better scene. <laughs> right. Um, so that's it. We're just establishing there that Gwen is a person that exists and to set up the baby joke. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. which well, sorry, listeners, babies. spoilers, there's going to be a baby joke with Deputy D- Stupid. Um, Deputy, that's what you're going to say, Doofus. Deputy Doofus. Deputy Doofus. doofus. I'm actually going to, I've decided I'm going to make a series of flashcards for the the Facebook Legion podcast page, which is the character in one pane, and then all the different Hollywood actress, actors and actresses that are combined together to make up a Bo Ransdell or Duncan McLeish impression. Yeah, we, we probably there, should. There, there, are, there are a couple... Um, and we've already established that Andy is really your, uh, as Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump meets Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling. If you merge <laughs> yeah. those two together, you get Bo's impression of Andy, um, which I think is which is pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And then obviously your your Hank Hill, and uh, you know, we, we have we have a few of them, so we're going to tabulate them all up together, and I'm going to create a series of flashcards for listeners who are wondering should they listen to the show well. You get this, this, and this, and people are like, "I need to listen to this," um, which it, is also <laughs> a lie. Which is also like your James is kind of your James is kind of funny because your your James. <laughs> How would you describe your James impression? My the James impression is a child that's a little too loud, and has been hit repeatedly with a rock in the cranium. Yeah, but if you had to describe the voice you're using from. To someone else, what would you think? Who would you think it's it? I don't know. There's, I mean, there's it, a bit of Christopher Walken in it, and there's a bit so? of Lou Ferrigno. There is a little like, Lou Ferrigno. It, it would there's be... a bit of Christopher Walken in there as well. It's like, what would happen if you combine Lou Ferrigno and Christopher Walken together? Oh, Telling yeah. you. Yeah, that's I, what that's... it is. It's the perfect, it's the perfect match. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to do them. And you and I encourage the listeners to do the same. What does Bo's impression sound like? I know Ming's sound on point every single one that I do, um, but Bo's sometimes go a little awry. Um, <laughs> so if you can, if you if you can make those flashcards and let's shame them on the page, shame. We, we do things a little kooky around here, Duncan. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm an artist, if nothing else, Duncan, and I can't. Sometimes I channel these things, and I don't, I don't know all the the roots of uh of of where these things uh come from i just offer you the delicious fruit of uh, of my talent the the delicious black manjas yeah that's 
It's dripping off my chin bowl. Let's continue with the story. Is, this one's warm, <laughs> goddammit. I said cold black man jizz. Uh, speaking of black man jizz. <laughs> the next scene doesn't have any. Yeah, the next scene is almost, well, it's like 98% free of it. Um, <laughs> we or, are, or like Twin Peaks in general, no black characters at all. It's yeah. It, this town is startlingly white, um, but then again, it's also the Pacific Northwest, which, yeah. if you've ever been there, is startlingly white. Mm. Um, at any rate, uh, so we we go back to the Great Northern, where Agent Cooper is is talking to Diane, and they're discussing Mike a little bit, and and uh, Agent Cooper is saying, you know, in a different time, he would have been a seer or like a a, a, a you know a tribal shaman uh, of, of some kind. And Sheriff Truman is like, whatever, man. Um, like, I, I'm with you most of the time, but you are kooky. <laughs> and they come across, because uh, uh, Sheriff Truman's there to, I guess, meet him for their morning rituals of donuts and coffee. And they run across one Leland Palmer, um, totally not crazy or possessed by Bob, dance doing a gene kelly dance in the lobby of the the great northern which we know he is want to do he's he's a song and dance guy yeah well he is now he wasn't when we first met him well no he was devastated emotionally or at least pretending to be so because you know he was bob or uh, yeah. like it, they describe it later we'll get to that but um so they're like hey um since you're here and all we should probably tell you that, you know, your friend, Ben Horn, we arrested him for murder, too. And can you not kill this one, maybe? Because <laughs> he's like, that. no, 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 Jack, Jack, remember Jack? Remember, that, that, that's, that's who did it, wasn't it? And they're like, mm, no, no. kind of not. And uh, I... Uh, I I don't want to tell you this, Leland, but it looks like Ben did it. I mean, we got a lot of evidence and, you know, see above re you not killing him. Would that be cool? And he's like, I'll let justice handle this. And yeah. like creeps off into a hallway of the great Northern. And this is just like a standout rewise performance here. This is like every, he plays everything on his face. It's fucking amazing. Well, because he starts off with the crying, like I'm, yeah. you know, I'm I'm distraught over, you know, the reminder that my daughter is dead and also that my friend murdered him, or murdered her. Uh, <laughs> twist! Laura Palmer is a man. Um, <laughs> but Agent I Cooper put past lunch, right? Not put past it. But, but so he starts laughing. It, you know, it's the the crying fade into laughing thing, where he's just kind of head down chest shaking or shoulder shaking as he's just giggling all to hell uh, about the fact that it, because he is Bob understands, Hey, I just killed someone else. I can probably pin this on Ben too. And also the heat's off me because now they got a suspect that they think killed my daughter when guess what? Totally me. Mm -hmm. And so Leland's all things being equal, having a pretty good day. And, Agent Cooper goes to uh, to find him and say, like, hey, um, look, I know you're upset right now. 
But if you would, if you think of anything about your old pal Ben that might help us in our investigation, why don't you give us a little jingle jangle and let us know? And uh, at which point Leland is like, I totally will. I killed him. I killed all of them. It was me. I. Oh my God, you guys, they don't even know. They don't even know I killed her. Um, so he does, yeah, there, there's a there's a bit of a cocky swagger that comes across him when he suddenly realizes that yeah, it, it's likely that someone's going to take the fall for all these murders, and Bob's reign of terror will continue. Well, he dances out of the scene, yeah, like after he actually physically dances it. Yeah. We're not just, it's not metaphorical dancing; it's physical, actual dancing out of the scene. Yeah. Oh, it's so good and a musical sachet. Um, Stage left. Uh, yeah, you're right. That would be stage mm-hmm. left. Anyway, so Leland's having a, a very good day. Um, he is possessed by a demon spirit who has forced him to kill his daughter and niece. But um, while he's possessed, that's all pretty cool, and he's getting away with it all. So enter Doctor Hayward uh, at the sheriff's department to uh, to give. Ben Horn a blood test. Yeah, and that's to... not where I thought it was going at first, and it's deliberately shot in a way which makes you think that's not where it's going on at first. Because Ben Horn is kind of leaning in a provocative position, and he's putting on rubber gloves. Yes. Uh, once again, bringing up anal jokes, Duncan. Yeah. Um, you, well, no. Twin Peaks brings up this time he's about to get the full Picard, the he's... full John Luke. He's about to get a, a Riker maneuver of his own. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Data. Set faces to sexy Mr. Data. <laughs> uh, <laughs> set, set faces to prolapse. Oh, my God. Oh, I take that back. Take it back, Mo. <laughs> set knuckles to deep. Um, <laughs> set knuckles to deep. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to enter the black hole. <laughs> Once you cross the neutral zone, Mr. Data. <laughs> the neutral zone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Why, why didn't we ever write for Star Trek? It feels I like don't we're natural. Know. I, I get the feeling that our scripts would probably not make the cut. <laughs> but I, get, I get this feeling. Uh, yeah, uh, guys, thanks for coming in. Um this is an entire script that is nothing but Jean-Luc Picard. And once again, Shakespearean trained a- actor. Yes. Uh, and Ian McKellen, of course. And yes. uh, Brent Spiner as Mr. Data in the captain's quarters, making not-so-subtle references to Data, putting a hand, among other things, in uh, the Captain Picard's bottom. Now... We are in a syndicated program, yes, but mm-hmm. even these lax standards are not going to get this episode made. It is <laughs> that's 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 how uh, that's how Picard describes his anus as lax standards. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Or slack standards. Oh. Oh no. That's right. You have to work past these hemorrhoids, which he classes as a, an asteroid belt. 
I call them the Ferengi, Mr. Data. <laughs> I forgot to wipe correctly. Please avoid the Klingons. Oh, sir. I know, I had to take it to a level where we would both feel repulsed by it so we would get back on track with the show. Alright, so there's a blood <laughs> test. Number one, give me a number two. Um, <laughs> and we're back! So, uh, Ben and Jerry are, um, like, Jerry is defending Ben, and Agent Cooper shuts him down pretty quickly when he's like, look, you're not allowed to practice law pretty much anywhere, uh, except here in the state of Twin Peaks. Um, Failed the bar exam four times. You know, just goes through a litany of things this guy has not done right well. Which would make him an unreliable lawyer. Certainly in this context. And, and Jerry at least acknowledges as much. But they are presented with the secret diary of Laura Palmer, which we know is the secret diary of Laura Palmer. Because when you open the cover, the first page says, the secret diary of Laura Palmer. She's very clever how she did that. Very, very smart, this Laura Palmer. Yeah. Who She opens the first page and says, right, so this is where I write my secrets. So I have this diary here. Where I write all the, you know, today was great at school. I did this. I ate this. James kept saying how much I looked like myself. Um, you know what I mean? And 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 the other diary, it's it's the it's a darker version. Yeah. She talks I, about her naughty stuff. The that, naughty things she does with naughty people. It just seems so inefficient. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's it's, it's doing things in duplicate here. You know what I mean, and it, you have to read that first page, or there's a danger that one minute you're talking about being, you know, ass blasted by your father, and then you're switching into the romantic song that James wrote you, um, you know, on the same page. That's not going to work. We need consistency. One is a one is a for for using American terms, a blue diary. Another one's a clean diary. So, ass blasted by your father, Mister Data. How about <laughs> ass blasted by your captain? I, I, I'm going to stop. I promise. I'm done. Unless an opportunity presents itself. That is it. Um, but, Jesus Christ, this show. Anyway, I don't mean Twin Peaks. I mean this show. Um, so, once they lay it out like, hey, it says right here in the secret diary of Laura Palmer, I'm going to tell the world about Benjamin Horn and all the dirty shit he's up to. You know, that sounds like motive. And motive. Uh, Jerry is uh, basically says, like, give me a minute with my brother. And they're like, all right, we'll give you a minute. And so uh, Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper fuck off. And Jerry tells Ben, look, man, I'm telling you, I, the way he puts it is like, as your attorney, your brother, and your friend, you need a better lawyer. Yeah. And because you're in some shit now, like things are piling up. Um, Speaking of the piles. Oh, <laughs> it's not good by there. <laughs> uh, it's like now I'm having to physically resist the urge to do butt jokes as Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, it's, it's, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When you were talking there, there was about three or four things I wanted to say. And they were all in. Patrick Stewart's voice. Yeah, it's and, and to be honest with you, I would not have felt guilty if I'd used them. I'm actually more proud of myself that I didn't. 
Right. We'll do another show just called Picard's Butt. And it will... <laughs> it will start a button. Oh, my God. Picard's Dirty Button. It will be premiering <laughs> in about a week. And it's just going to be us for half an hour. Let's be honest, two and a half hours. Doing yeah. nothing but making jokes about Jean-Luc Picard getting fisted yeah. and made love to in his bottom. Yeah. Um, speaking of getting made love to in your bottom, Duncan... Um, <laughs> off to the Johnsons we go. Oh yeah, this is a storyline that yeah. I couldn't wait to get back into. We're gonna get through this quick. So what happens is, uh, Bobby, you know, they found the micro cassette tape, the casingle. That, the, yeah, that Leo's Mima self. Yeah, Mima bird self. <laughs> it's a great character. So it's so underused in that previous episode. And the shoes. <laughs> New shoes. Um. <laughs> hey, so Bobby. He's, yeah, so he's Bobby, to the it's the minor and... bird. It's in his shoes, man. You ought to, you ought to get that tape out of his Shut up, bird! <laughs> God, bird. God, bird. Fuck. Yeah, so, <laughs> so he listens to the tape, and basically, very cleverly, you could say, Leo Johnson... Mama didn't raise no fool with this guy here. He knows that he is expendable in this grand scheme of kind of corporate espionage and, you know, and fraud and arson and all the rest. That he is, he is recording conversations that he has with, in this case, Ben Horn, who's telling him to burn down the sawmill and make sure it looks like arson. Sorry, make, make sure it doesn't look like arson. So it pays out etc 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 and he has his tape and bobby being you know it's a small town uh bobby knows what ben horn sounds like so he writes a little note um, and makes a copy of the tape and he's going to use it for blackmail yep. shelly comes in wearing the food that she's tried to feed leo who has for some reason has a spit gag reflex going on just now um and she comes in and she wonders what the letter is that's marked there. And Bobby basically says this is her ticket. And considering Leo was making us no money at all, this is what will give us our payday that we want. And that is pretty much the end of this scene. And I, I couldn't give two fucks about it at all. Oh, let me give you something else that you couldn't possibly care about, Duncan. Oh, please do. Norma's mother comes into the double R. Oh, yeah. What the fuck is all this about? Um... Ugh. So Norma's mother is a very smart-looking older lady who has uh, the older version of Herb Tarlick from WKRP in tow. Um, they are recently married and are honeymooning in Twin Peaks because apparently they just heard there was a murder and where else would you want to go? I but, would want to go there. <laughs> but a Pacific Northwest town where a murderer is on the loose. So... Um, it, it, it's just a bunch of business about, uh, you know, N Norma has always lived in the shadow of her mother's criticism and her older Herb Tarlick, uh, seems a little shady. Yeah. And just a bit. Yeah. I mean, do we want to say anything more about it? Like the, the, her clue that, uh, Herb Tarlick is probably a little creepy is that he has a... Uh, in on the sports section of the paper that he was holding um, is a bet 
that. It like a thousand dollars on Usen or some shit like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, whatever. Let's <laughs> all right. Let's get to the creepiest moment of this episode. Oh, Mike wakes up uh, in the Great Northern, looking all manic and crazy because they're keeping him off the El Dopa so that he doesn't revert back to normal Mike. Um, and they want like crazy Mike around so that they can try to figure out who is uh hosting bob Mm -hmm. and when he wakes up his arm is do or the the stump of his arm is doing this it's doing the hokey cokey the hokey cokey yeah you know that is that not another why have we podcasted so long it's hokey pokey no, hokey cokey. Oh, Jesus Christ. I didn't realize Jesus this was fucking. A... What is, the Americans are so fucking like, <laughs> no, we can't, we can't have cokey in a word because that might, that reminds us of cocaine or Coca-Cola. No, no, no. So we have to call it pokey, which sounds worse. It sounds like you're shoving your fingers. It's the Picard thing. All like, oh, Mr. Data, let's play hokey pokey with your index finger in my dirty button. Uh, so. All right. The hokey cokey. <laughs> parenthetically ireland comma united kingdom or hokey pokey parenthetically united states canada australia new zealand and the caribbean where was the song originated uh it originates as a british folk dance right so there you go so fuck the lotties right, it's not our fault that you <laughs> took it and changed the name right if it started here and you it's the same with the spelling ball it's the same with the spelling it's uses of the letter z instead of s and things which drives me up the fucking wall is the fact that you spelled the word center wrong. Oh, favorite has a U. <laughs> All right. Well, Why? you can Why dance you your hokey it? cokey. I'll be fine with my hokey pokey. Yeah, you can poke whatever you want, Bob. Um, oh, number one. <laughs> number one. Hello. <laughs> uh, this episode is. I prefer real. the hokey pokey as well, <laughs> Mr. Data. <laughs> Put uh, it on the big viewing screen. <laughs> No, all of it. Um, <laughs> all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Send in a probe, Mr. Data. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I had a curry last night and now I'm shitting photon torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe oh, I'll be in a... the sick bay all day. <laughs> oh. Probe by Wendy Crusher. Um, <laughs> oh man! Sorry. It's, anyway, anyway, it's so oh, shameful because oh, oh. Ian McKellen is such a fine actor. Um, <laughs> what Ian McKellen was in Star Trek? Wait, it's wait. Patrick which one? Stewart. <laughs> okay, yeah, Patrick Stewart. They're, they're practically brothers. Ian McKellen was Gandalf, not Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> Oh, you, you need a fellowship of the ring, number one. Um, <laughs> you shall not pass. The rest of you make it so. <laughs> oh, a Balrog, eh? Uh, look at that fist, Mr. Data. Look how big and fiery it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Right, right. So so right. Mike's stump is is jiving. Wait, yeah, like, wakes like up Saturday night fever. It's just like Yeah. Like 
doing the, the whole kind of it's doing the round the house is doing the, the the weird kind of big box little box kind of fucking dance thing all these things make no sense to anyone apart from me um but it's going all over the place it's quite disturbing to watch actually and i don't know how they did it as an effect or if he can naturally do it with his body and if he can uh, fair play to him i'm glad that they cast him just for that because it is fairly unsettling to watch yeah it's really i mean it's it's the todd browning freaks thing of just like oh this is actual human mutilation or or retardation at uh like brought to you live and in stereo um but anyway yeah it's real creepy and then uh he wakes up and the nurse is like are you okay and he's like i'll have some water and she's like all right i'll i'll go get some water and meanwhile like when she leaves uh the the deputy on duty sees her leaving it's like okay well while she's gone i need to go check on on mike here and he walks in and lo and behold the bed is empty and uh mike just brains this dude with like a a vase um which i gotta be honest i was watching this uh uh this episode uh, a couple of nights ago and i had a glass of water in my hand and i jumped when that happened like a big it's, it's a pretty baby. good it's a pretty good but once again as well done, oh, david lynch likes to do these things you get goofy you get goofy you get goofy and pow right well after you know two scenes that you couldn't care about and then it's yeah. like oh we're gonna start with you know mike's twitchy arm and then somebody is getting you know tatered uh mm-hmm. and that's enjoyable so uh yeah so in uh, uh Mike takes off he is gone uh, out the window uh which is a pretty good violent film song and then we go back to the double R because ugh we got to keep going with this storyline and Hank has returned yay yeah. we've not had Hank for two whole episodes right. you guys miss me um <laughs> And he comes in, and Norma is like, where have you been? I've been, like, running a business all day, and you've just been gone. And he's like, oh, sorry, baby. It's just that, well, there are people out there that want to see me fail. And she's like, "Uh, all right, I guess I'm going to let you skate with this. And he's, he's like, yeah, guys who are into propane, clean, burning propane. Um, and, and Norma being the, you know, kind of loving wife is like, Hey, the next time that you think, you know, shit's going bad, why don't you talk to me about it? And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. Or maybe I won't. Um, and then he, he sees that Norma's mother is there and they have a relationship because let's not forget that Norma and Hank were married once upon a time. And he knows this character, which I do kind of like the fact that it's not like you remember Hank, you know, the mother is just like, oh, Hank, how are you doing? Or she calls him Henry, I think, because uh, she's hoity-toity. She is. And so they agree to meet for dinner with Hank and Norma and Norma's mom and older Herb Tarlick. <laughs> and anyway so let's leave them there because we'll get back to them in a slightly more interesting scene Mm -hmm. and go back to the sheriff's station where now um (laughs) sheriff truman is looking at stock footage of a woodpecker yeah as you do as you do he's like look at look at there and uh pete martell shows up and (sighs) god love him 
Uh, but it shows up to tell Sheriff Truman, like, hey, Josie took off, and she's totally gone, and, and they're sort of commiserating with one another about how much they cared about her. And then the real takeaway is Pete Martell saying, um... You know, I or, or no, it's Sheriff Truman who who mentions Mister Lee, her assistant, and Pete Martell is rightfully like, "Who are you talking about, Mister Lee? Uh, she didn't have an assistant. There was her cousin, and it's like, wait a second, she told us two different things about the same guy. Yeah. I bet something's going on here." Says I've I've got a bad feeling about this Sheriff Truman. Um. <laughs> A, a pretty good Pete. Thanks, I've been working on it. Although my next impression of Pete coming up is fucking amazing, so you're gonna love it. I I do <coughs> want to see this. All right, so yeah, all right, let's. Anyway, <laughs> we gotta we gotta touch on the fact that like Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper are taken off uh, for investigative purposes. In walks Andy. Uh. And let's just get through it quick. He walks in. <laughs> he sees Lucy holding a baby. And because Deputy Andy is not very smart, he's like, oh, my God, Lucy, that's your baby. And then passes out because he is a real hothouse flower, this Deputy Andy. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're done. That's it. That's all we got to say. Yeah, about that was it. A, that was a payoff, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, to that joke we mentioned earlier. That's the whole payoff. Yeah, it, it was not worth it. No. Well, but aside from Andy losing some sperm at, at one point, um, all of, well, and I would argue him getting hit in the head with the board and then wobbling around for a solid 120 seconds was all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is awful. Um but, all right, take it away, Pete Martell. What's going on? Uh, because he doesn't leave the station when Sheriff Truman does. He's got other business to handle. Yeah, so Pete Martell in the next scene appears um, to see Ben Horn, who is, is trapped. And he comes walking in holding uh, a tape recorder, kind of tape deck tape recorder. However, that's not how he's kind of grasping it uh, and not how he plays out this scene. In this scene, he morphs into Paul Bearer from the WWE. Like, literally, Carrie going, Oh, Ben! My Catherine Markell has a message for you! And then he presses the fucking button, and she's like... Like, the voice comes on, and he's like, Oh my god, Catherine's alive? And she she basically says in this, You know, I think we... You know, I, I know that we did this, but maybe my memory's a bit hazy. Maybe we didn't sleep together on this night. If you sign across... Um, not only the the sawmill, but the the whole Ghostwood uh, franchise thing that you're going to be building over to me within 24 hours, then you know you will rot in prison for the rest of your life. Ha ha ha! To which she then switches it off and then continues being Paul Bear. Oh yes, my Undertaker is coming for you. Oh, this and he it, it is so not Pete. This is the bit that confuses me. He's a likable guy. He's been a likable guy up to this point. Now, all of a sudden, he's siding with a wife that's been cheating on him, who basically admits to sleeping with this guy, and and the attempt to blackmail him out of everything and see an innocent man go to jail. What the fuck is going on with this, Bo? Yeah. I don't well, like Pete anymore. I don't, I've don't. i went off Pete as a character. 
Like in one scene, I'm just like that, right? This doesn't feel like something Pete would do. Don't know why you've got so much glee about it. Your wife is a horrible, horrible person. I understand that you love her, but you've kind of forgiven her really fucking quick. Like really, really, really quick. Um, and now you're happy to see an innocent man go to jail unless you embezzle things from him. Which, yeah, on some level, he's embezzled them, but at the same time, two wrongs don't make a right. Fuck you, Pete Martell. Fuck you. All right, look, I agree with you. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to do your his Twitter shop, you ignorant slut. No, no, no. I, I mean, I don't so much get the Undertaker references because... Oh, uh, wait till you see it back. He is clutching this thing like an arm. He's totally in the faces he's pulling as well. Watch that scene back. I swear to God. And then watch any scene, any old school WWF scene of Paul Bearer standing beside Undertaker as he's talking. Um, and I swear to God, they even look a bit alike. Like, Pete Martell's a bit skinnier, mind you, and his hair's grey, but he's pretty, he looks like a skinny Paul Bearer. Yeah, I, I'm telling I, you, it's, it's, the, it's the same it's the same images, it's the same everything, the inflections, the works. Here's, alright, here are my problems with the scene, above and beyond wrestling references. Um, I think that his joy at basically like parading around the fact that his wife was having this affair the whole time mm-hmm. is disturbing at mm-hmm. best. And yeah, I think you're right. I, I I just don't think it feels in line with who Pete is. No, and, who like less than five minutes ago was super concerned that maybe something was going on with Josie Packard because she told a slight lie between the two of them. Something that, you you know, like, maybe she was ashamed of this person. So she, You know, there are plenty of other reasons why she may have done this small white lie. Yet in the next scene, five minutes later, he's, he's an accessory to a, a fake death. Um, you know, like I said before, fraud. Yeah. On, on a huge level, um, withholding evidence, which is leading to the conviction of a man for murder, uh, and just being a dick. <laughs> God, you know, it isn't a crime, but it should be. I, I, I will say I do like the last line, though, where he's like, that Catherine, isn't she a caution? Because yeah, well, I, I like hearing people described as a caution. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. But I, like I say, he's... Yeah, to me, it doesn't feel in keeping with the character. And on some level, cheapens one of the the kind of more pure souls in the actual show. Up to this point, he has been like, what, to use a Bo Ransdell quote, a pure good. Um, But I'm glad you gave that to me and not Oscar Schindler. Thank you. I I do like it. I do like it. I I, I like your way of using it. Um, Although I do think you compared that to cupcakes which i think is an affront to oscar schindler but there we go um i may be wrong on that one but i think that's what the quote is yeah it it was it was that cupcakes are like schindler's list a pure good yeah that's 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 wrong on so many levels and offensive on even more um but it's like just right across the board just a slap i love it it's just like a slap towards it's like a lot of faces lined up and it's just your hand just going right down the whole row like slap, 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 slap. just like the consecutive slaps. I love it. It's amazing. But um, yeah, so I, it's just he he to me was the one of those very much like Agent Cooper to an extent, and one of these uncorruptible pure characters in there. And then in one scene, they just turn that sour for me. 
Um, so I don't like this scene at all, actually. Um, and I don't like when we go back to resolve the scene with the the representative of Catherine Martell, which is a character I really thought we had got rid of mm-hmm. after the last reveal. But no, we have to squeeze one more one more scene out of this joke. Ah, oh, it's just the worst. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it it it's disappointing all around, uh, aside yeah. from the use of the word caution. Um, yeah, we do like that. Actually, I'm going to use that tomorrow. I'm going to start calling someone caution. Um. Yeah, and if you can say it like this, ain't he a caution? Like that's the way to do it. I might struggle because I'm in Scotland, but I'll see what I can do. Yeah, do, see what you you can manage. I'll see what I'll, I'll modify it. I'll, I'll work. I'll work something out. Yeah, I mean, do it in your own voice. You don't have to. You don't have to Im- imitate or emulate. You can. You're. You are a uh, a talented man. Uh, I assume. And it seems like I'm listening to one of these self help tapes you listen to to you in your sleep. Yeah. You're a confident man. Yeah, get uh I, like I've got another podcast that's just me uh telling uh stories about me watching Fraggle Rock as a kid. That's all <laughs> ASMR stuff of just And then the Fraggles were running through the baseboards of the house like rats. They're awful disgusting creatures. <laughs> Why didn't that old man ever get an exterminator and save him <laughs> and his dog, who seemed pretty nice, a whole lot of trouble? Yeah. Fuck those fraggles right in their fraggle ass. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Leland Palmer is. We had a dirty song about Fraggle Rock. We did. I think it's a British thing as well. Like you, we like in Britain, we like to pervert the lyrics to songs. <laughs> yeah, we like that here. It's called Weird Al Yankovic. Go on. Yeah, ours are maybe slightly less uh, less enjoyable and lovable, like uh, Weird Al Yankovic. I believe as a kid it was down down at Fraggle Rock, grab a Fraggle by its cock, <laughs> swing around its head. Now the Fraggle's dead. Grab another one, stick a chainsaw up its bum, turn the chainsaw on. Now the Fraggle's gone. Um, so there you go. <laughs> oh, number one. <laughs> there, there are people in the UK right now. With a tear in their eye, wiping it away, going, I remember that. I remember those days. Is it like a nostalgic tear of like, oh, when we talked about killing them fraggles? Yeah, because we're all groundskeeper really. I think we've established that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, there is nothing that has ever happened in our time together as podcasters to disprove that notion. <laughs> <laughs> you give me evidence you're, to the contrary. You're in for such a shock when you eventually come to Scotland. <laughs> Like, I just think you have this image of what it's going to be like. You're going to walk out. You're going to realize that no one speaks like that. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. It's um, going to be. It's going to be a shattered dream for you. Yeah, and but... then you'll try and do it because you think you'll be funny and all cute as the foreign person doing that, and you'll just you'll just realize what it is to have a whole a whole nation of people hate you. I mean, that's kind of what I'm working towards now. But uh, just here, well. here on the home shores. Um, yeah. Yep, and we went for certain fan bases as well. I'm fairly sure anyone that really likes Star Trek doesn't like us in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I, we've gone after Star Wars now. Star Trek. Um, it really is only a matter of time before we get around to Doctor Who. So uh, yeah, we're just going to turn off every nerd one by one. <laughs> um, Peter Capaldi is a national fucking treasure. I will not have a bad word said about. It. I, I totally agree. I think Peter Capaldi's amazing. Um, 
I think, jeez, uh, what was what was the show that In the Loop came out of? Uh, uh, the Thick of It. The Thick of It. I watched all of that because Peter Capaldi is so amazing on it. He's the, that's one of the funniest performances on TV history. Yeah. It's, it's hands down hilarious. Everything he says is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's great. So, no no arguments yes. here. But, you know, Doctor Who's dumb. Um, no, no, no. I've watched... <laughs> right, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So Leland is uh, out driving. And... Yeah, it's singing a song still because he hasn't realized that he has a car radio <laughs> well you know sometimes the radio is not playing what you want to hear so mm-hmm. you just sing your own song that's what i do with uh waterfalls by tlc all the time oh like, that doesn't get played don't near. go chase the waterfalls just Love stick it. to the rhythm oh, anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know you're gonna have it your way or nothing at all I'm loving this. This is this is a new podcast. But Duncan, you're moving too fast. See, I personalized I moved, it. Yeah, moved too fast, and that's how I injured myself in the marathon. That's exactly right. You were chasing waterfalls. Constantly chasing that waterfall. Um, T-Boss left eye and chili. No, no finer group. <laughs> um, wish my name were T-Boss. Uh, <laughs> that's what actually. That's what we should shorten the bass to is T-Baz. and you could be left leg and i'll be chilly i said it it writes itself both i know and now that i'm saying i could go for a bowl of chili um Mm, oh number one um (laughs) so that leland is weaving this way and that uh as he's singing and Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper happen to be driving along, and he almost runs them off the road. And they pull him over, and they're like, Leland, what the fuck, man? Um, and he's like, I don't know. I guess I was thinking about Ben. You know? You guys really dropped a bomb on me earlier with this whole Ben Horn killed my daughter thing. So smart, Ruth. It's a distraction. It's a waiver that can be like, oh, that's right. We did tell him earlier on, and we knew that it may take it hard. Right. And, but I love this scene as well. Like, once again... Rewise, like acting his ass off, just fucking covering the full spectrum of emotion um, and and character from understandable and reasonable to downright sinister. And we know what's in the book. We know what's in the god. What's in the god bag? You know what I mean? Right. And because, like, it, you're right though, because he goes from kind of pissed off at, at being pulled over to kind of enjoying the back and forth with agent cooper like he's teasing him a little bit there's a little cat and mouse you know it's the old hitchcock thing of we know as the audience we know more than agent cooper does yep and and yeah when he goes to the boot um what do you call it it's a trunk it's the trunk of a car goes to the boot the boot of the, the car boot um you know what a boot is it's the thing they put on your wheel when you're you're over ticketed they put a boot on your car. And you're over ticketed. Yeah, like if you're if you're in a no parking zone for too long <laughs> and you get a bunch of tickets and finally they just put a boot on your car, which is this metal thing that makes it impossible for that wheel to roll anymore. We call that a clamp over here. Oh clamps. Clamp. Okay. It's, it's a wheel clamp because it clamps your wheel. <laughs> we call it a boot. A boot. A boot. We call it a boot Fucking just, just a so so weird. 
just to thumb our nose at, at the UK where we're like, you call what a, a trunk? A boot. That's the thing that don't make your car go no more. How about that, UK? That's what we do. So weird, America. Uh, so, yeah, like, so he opens his trunk. Um, yeah, let me show you my new irons, Agent Cooper. Yeah, but I, I love this scene because, like, Cooper's obviously, like, mildly interested. Um, but as he gets distracted by Agent Truman saying, you know, talks, got the urgent message, we need to go. It very much looks like Leland Palmer is about to brain Agent Cooper with an iron. Yeah. He lifts it out and he lifts it in such a way that he's going to hit him with it. And the face, once again, it's Bob's, it's Bob's mannerisms. Um, and, you know, he's like, oh, maybe we'll talk golf about some other time. He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back with the, you know, sit in the car once again, look in the mirror. Who's in the mirror? Bob. Bob's in the mirror. Bob. Leland. Leland. Bob. Um, yeah. It, and just every single time. Every single time. There's a whole lot of, there's, there's a whole, we need to talk about Bob is the name of the episode. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so, so they, they head off. And the reason they head off is because Hawk has found uh, Mike. Well, of course he has. Because he's. Yeah, because awesome. Sheriff Truman was like, hey, Hawk, how about you go find Mike? And Hawk was like, of course I will. It's what I do. Hawk only knows awesome. Sure. <laughs> Is there a way that you could bring Mike in in a less cool way? I'm afraid I can't do that, Sheriff. I can do a number of things. Not being awesome is not something I can do. It's not something he can do. Um, so, so they've brought him in. Um, and I, I believe that I'm correct in saying the next scene we... And what I love about this scene as well with the, the car trunk, which, that's silly, um, is the fact that blatantly he, inv- he, he has pretty much said to Agent Cooper, and there's nothing stopping Agent Cooper coming round, beside him to look at this set of golf clubs in the boot and he opens and he leaves the zip open for the bag and there's a hand blatantly hanging out because Bob is full of mischief he doesn't give a fuck um, and he's he's having the time of his life right now um, so we jump to the next scene and if memory serves the next scene is Mike giving um, Ben the once over yeah, well, before that, we have an extended period of Lucy and Gwen and Deputy Andy. Uh, yeah, I, I disregard this because it's pish. But well, if just, we need to go into it, let's go into it. For the sake of completion, we are just <laughs> going to say, basically, Gwen is being a loudmouth Budinsky. That's, that's a technical term. Yeah, that's uh, the American Association of Psychologists, which is probably mm-hmm. something have said uh, as much. (laughs) Was it the APA, American Psychological Association, I think? APA. So the APA said that uh, being a loudmouth Budinsky is a half step away from being a real busybody. And uh, Gwen is being that. And finally, uh, both Lucy and Deputy Andy tell her to shut up because he is revealing, hey, I could be the father because it turns out, you know, I have a whole city inside me. And yeah, and uh, so now Lucy's like, "Well, but I'm such a whore. I don't know if you're the father or not because I did have sex with this dude." So I mean, that's what we're getting at. Like the heart of this whole scene or the uh, of this plot line is that Lucy couldn't keep her legs together, 
Yeah, it's slut shaming, which I don't agree with. Um, well, look, if you are having sex with two dudes, one of whom theoretically fairly seriously, I mean, we all make mistakes. They were on a break, but let's not <laughs> do the, the Rostrum friends. We were on a break! All right, so anyway, so e- either uh, Dick Tremaine or Deputy Andy could be the father. That's the takeaway from this scene. Who cares? Yeah, it's, I like to call the, this scenario the Kobayashi Maru to like get back to Star Trek. It's the no-win scenario. Either your your child's father is Andy, who is reliable but dim, or you can get Dick Tremaine, who is flashy but a cunt. So and also probably gay. And I don't. Mean I think that it dis- probably is. That is not disparaging in any way. It's just that he is a male fashion designer who has some fairly extravagant affectations. Yes. And probably uses the word crisps quite a bit. Yes. I'm not rising to this. All right. <laughs> oh, I'm rising, Mr. Data. Hello, Mr. Data. Um, it's just, I can't stop. Anyway, um, it's like I had one crisps. And then couldn't wait to eat more crisps. It's one crisp. Whatever. Um, you, you, pl- you pluralize the singular. That's not. That's not correct. I far far be it for me to you know to correct I, you on your English. I got my crisps from the boot. <laughs> uh, that's how you teach like the Queen's English in your elementary schools. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, parked parked my car in the parking lot, which is just silly. Well, where else are you going to park it's car it? park. Uh, it's a just... park where you park your car. Car park. All right, I'll give you that one. Car park is pretty good. Um, yeah. <laughs> ben Laurie's garbage, but ironically. <laughs> ben Laurie is garbage, that's right. Well done. Uh, no, it's so... not. If it were, it would go in a garbage truck. Anyway, so... The war reaches on. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, so they they bring Mike in like a like a, a supernatural bloodhound. Yes. Uh, to to sniff Ben Horn, which he pretty much does. Sniff. Yeah, he's all over, he's all over him, and then he's like, "Well, you smell like sex," which is weird. Second of all, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, "You wear later time, but not today. Sometimes you use Evian skin cream." Oh. <laughs> uh. This is going to culminate in us just doing a a really awful live reading of Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> oh, sorry. I can't, I can't help that. Whenever a character smells another character, that's what goes through my head. <laughs> Let's see if you can turn that insight into yourself. Oh, no, no, no. You were doing so well. You admitted vulnerability with that story about Niggs and the other sound. No, no, no. Sloppy work. It won't do. <laughs> All right. But anyway, so. God, yeah. So we could. Uh, Mike is uh, basically says, hey, he's been close to Bob, but Bob ain't yeah. here. He's not Bob. He is not. What about Bob? That guy ain't Bob. That when, guy ain't Bob. Uh, I know a Bob when I see him. This guy ain't a Bob. Look, I come from a line of Bobs in my family. My father was named Bob, yep. as a matter of fact. 
and I know a bob when I see one. Yep. This ain't a so bob. That, it's like my bob owes your bob one bob, and if my bob doesn't get yeah, so my bob owes you bob one bob, and if my bob doesn't give your bob the bob that my bob owes your bob, my bob will give your bob a bob in the nose. That's another thing from my primary school. Jesus Christ, this show's like therapy. Yeah, it sure is, and we're all fascinated. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, <laughs> we're all referring you. Um, <laughs> we're referring you to another show. Um, another show. <laughs> Can imagine if you could do that, refer your co-hosts to other shows. Yeah, like you need to spend a little time on Devour. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, you will be. Uh, I believe I am. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for suggesting that I should come on and talk about a movie that I genuinely think is awful. Uh, we all do, Duncan. That's what's going to be so therapeutic about it. Like this, that's the real therapy episode, um, <laughs> where we all just talk about what a blaming, stinking, mountainous pile of shit the movie Thirty One is. Oh, and it is, it is, and more. Uh, but anyway. so yeah, so he, sniff, he sniffs around. This is not Bob. This this is not the Bob you're looking for. Um, and you know he then gets taken out. Um, and at, at this point, like Jerry's feeling pretty confident. He's like, "Listen here, Truman. Here's the deal. It's 24 hours. You either charge my client or you let him go. That's right. Dropping the books here. And and the, this is what you call a power play. Legal terms. We'll call their bluff and all the rest. And and Truman." T- arrests Ben Horn officially for murder, much to Ben's dismay. Um, and also Agent Cooper's. Sure. Yeah, well, yeah, this is the, which leads me to one of the greatest lines um, in this one, because it, it kind of, I think on some level, I think it's I think it's maybe the writer having a bit of fun with this show because we, you know, we end up outside with Truman and Agent Cooper and, you know, Coop's like, listen, I don't think it's him. I don't think he did it. Um, you know, he's you heard you heard Mike himself. Mike said that he's been near Bob, but he isn't Bob. And um, we get this fantastic reply from from Truman, which is, I've had enough of the mumbo jumbo. I've had enough of the dreams, the visions, the dwarves, the giants, Tibets, and the rest of the hocus pocus. And I, I, on some level, I get a feeling that at this stage, the audience. Maybe not me. I quite like those ideas, but I imagine it's kind of like having a bit of fun here that, you know, as an audience, we now know who the killer is. Let's just focus in on that. We don't need these these visions, these dreams, and everything else that the show's been leading on. This good old-fashioned police work's going to solve this case, Bo. Good old-fashioned, you know, elbow grease is going to... It's gonna, oh, oh, hello, Mr. Data. Elbow grease. Um, <laughs> I, see, I can't, honestly. <laughs> ah, uh, but it's... You, it's, it's every single time uh, is going to solve this case, and I love Cooper's reply because Cooper is a bit wounded, and you can see Truman's face. I think Truman feels a little bit guilty for having said it in the way he has, but he's just like that, you know. Um, uh, you know, thanks for reminding me that you know this is this is your game, this is your field. Yeah, and so. yeah, it, it's a yeah, it is such a terse but friendly reply. Yeah, and and then Agent Cooper's like, "Well, I'm out of here." You charged the yeah. guy that totally didn't do it, but hey. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> Cooper's like, uh, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying wallowing your own mistake, but it's your name that's on the arrest sheet, not me. Um, Coop's hands are clean. All right, so 
All right. Let, again, another scene we're just going to, uh, you know, kind of uh, drive through quickly. Drive it, both. Which is uh, the dinner date that was alluded to earlier between Norma and Hank and Norma's new father-in-law and mother. Mm-hmm. And what comes of this is like Norma and her mom go to the bathroom and immediately Hank is like, well, you've got yourself into quite a pickle there, Ernie. <laughs> and and <laughs> what we learn is that Ernie and Hank spent a little uh, time in jail together mm-hmm. and that Ernie had been uh, into some some financial uh, malfeasance. Yeah, he's a con man. Yeah. And, you know, even though he doesn't explicitly say so, Hank is basically alluding to the fact that, like, hey, she doesn't know I do, and maybe if you want to keep me quiet, you're going to need to give me some money. Although he doesn't say any of this in the scene. It's all just like, yeah, you got yourself a real nice wife there. Be a shame if anything happened to her. And you know, but Ernie to his credit is like, I'm going clean. I I'm going to meetings. I'm I found religion. Like I am trying to play this right. I I got caught. I, I served my time. I'm out now. I'm trying to build a life with this woman. And he also does say though that even though he is all these things, she has basically turned over her finances to him, which apparently are quite ample finances over at him to start investing money. Yes. on her behalf which you know is the temptation so to speak for that character of well I, you know I, you didn't ask for it you didn't pressure me or anything this time but i'm just going to give you access so it's this can he toe the line or will hank's incredibly bad influence rub off on this character which is kind of the, the point that we're at yeah all right so we're done with that now mm-hmm. let's get down to it duncan because Agent Cooper has a late night visitor at the Great Northern. It it does. He has he has a he has what I like to call a Saturday night, a, a, a Saturday night in the McLeish household, which is bed with a slice of cherry pie on the side and a warm glass of milk and a tape recorder, so you can record yourself. And talking to Diane, obviously. Sure. And then nothing else. Audrey Horn shows up. Oh, yes, she does. And I was thinking to myself, you know what this episode's missing? Some of the horn. Oh, man. And she's dressed like Jackie O a little bit. It's sexy. She really is. It's super, super sexy. And, of course, she comes in and she's like, well, did you arrest my dad? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've arrested your dad. And she's like, you know, do you think he did it? And he's like, well, it's not my place to say it, that, you know, the law will out in this situation. Everything is cool. Everything is okay. And she's like, yeah, you know, was it maybe so was the stuff that I told you, did that help? And he's like, yeah, yep, yeah, that's, yep, yeah, that helped build the case. That's right. And then she kind of crawls over and lies in the bed. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, zip. Uh, and then she, <laughs> she, she basically, <laughs> she says, you know, just to let him know that no one tarnished her. Um, when she was at One Eye Jacks and Agent Cooper says, "No, you know you're fine." You know, she's like, "I just want you to know nothing happened there." But then the phone rings, Bo. It does, and oh man, I, I'll tell you, there is something kind of sultry about Audrey Horn insisting she's a virgin. Um, yeah, I, I know it's um, 
I don't want to go too deep into it because it's going to say dark things about me. But yes, let's 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 not incriminate anyone on this show more directly than we have already. But yeah, (laughs) Yeah. so the phone rings and Agent Cooper is like, Audrey, I want you to go to your room. I want you to lock the door and you stay there. And she's like, what's going on? And he's like, I can't tell you that, but do what I tell you. And Audrey's like, you know what, Agent Cooper, you know how to treat a lady. I'm off to my room. Talk to you on the flip side. And (laughs) that's exactly what she says. And then we go to uh, somewhere near the the waterfall by the sawmill where we have uncovered yet another body wrapped in plastic and in a, in a scene eerily similar to the first episode, we draw the plastic back and reveal the face of not Laura Palmer, but Maddie Ferguson. And, uh, but it looks like Laura Palmer with a a black wig on. Mm -hmm. And one thing I really, it's, it, it always feels odd to say like, one thing I really like about the reveal of this murdered girl is <laughs> uh, the fact that she's got that big bruise on her cheek when they open up the plastic. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, she did get the living hell beat out of her. Oh, uh, yeah, he went rough. He went rough on her, which is... I, I, I quite like that. I know, I know David Lynch has a history of, of being accused and has... And and a lot of his films of gratuitous violence towards women, and certainly that we mentioned how shocking that scene was before. But it kind of feels just that if you're going to do that in the previous episode, if there's no payoff in the reveal of the body, then what's the point of doing it? Um, so I quite like the fact that they do that as well. Plus, in the case of this one, we we'll actually get to see what happened. To Maddie, and we'll not really get to see what happened proper to to Laura Palmer until we do Fire Walk with Me, um, which makes the the stuff that happened to Maddie seem, you know, to like nothing in comparison. Um, it seemed like right. just a small a small rap on the you know the the, the knuckles and told you know you go to your bed without dinner um, in comparison. But I'd, we've come full circle. We've come full circle in the show. We are now, this was episode, well, eight, I think, wasn't it? Yes, that is technically episode eight of season two. Yeah, so t- we are now we are now at what would be, assuming that the season lengths were the same, this would be the end of the second season. But that's not what happens between peak season two, because there's this kind of, this air of the show, which is, this show can just run forever. It's a sitcom. Sitcoms run forever. So we we are now moving into episode number nine, um, which, in a lot of respects, you would say should be a season finale. Yes, to me anyway, or it, even it, a it, series finale for that matter. Yeah, yeah, and, and that you know it, it should at that point be a that it should be a wrap, um, and we're going to get into it because the biggest question that we've had since the start of this, Who Killed Laura Palmer has been answered. Um, and in this next episode, we are going to bring that case to a close, so to speak. So, yeah. Indeed. I like this episode. I really like this episode. I thought um, it has a couple... My, my only gripe with this episode was the couple of slow bits with um, the Bobby story, the 
fucking Hank story and um, basically everything that isn't the main characters moving towards a resolution of the of the, the Laura Palmer case and Bob. Like when you start putting other things, especially at this stage where we're getting so many answers, when you take us away, even for five minutes, I feel it kind of almost slams the brakes on a bit and loses a bit of that momentum that the show is building up with all this information that's coming out. Um, and this episode has a couple of them. However, I would say that the performances of Ray Wise, particularly in this episode and the episode we're about to talk about, uh, more than make them thoroughly enjoyable to watch. So, I uh, I agree 110%, Duncan. Um, episode 9 of Season 2 is entitled mm-hmm. Arbitrary Law. Arbitrary Law. Arbitrary law, goddammit. Um, directed <laughs> by Tim Hunter, who is most notable for having directed River's Edge, which is a fine movie. Oh. Um, and also notably, his father was the guy who got the uh, Academy Award for Roman Holiday because oh, yeah. uh, Dalton Trumbo was on the blacklist, so he couldn't sell a script. Mm-hmm. And then when it finally came out that like, oh, hey, there was an agreement between Trumbo and Ian Hunter um, that, you know, Ian Hunter would say that he wrote it just so, you know, Trumbo could work, um, that the Academy was like, hey, can you give us that Oscar back? Because we're going to we're going to give that Oscar to Dalton Trumbo's widow. And Tim Hunter was like, fuck that. And <laughs> and didn't give it back. So, yeah, you don't you don't really want to fuck over Trumbo because he would appear at your door knocking and say, "I am the one that knocks." Um, he would. Oh, <laughs> oh, Duncan. Um, <laughs> it's what I do, Bo. It's what do I you, do. Do you do you think it's Ian Hunter who wrote Roman Holiday? Is that what you think? Um, I am the one who writes Roman Holiday. Yeah. Uh, I, I wrote under a pseudonym, Heisenberg. Um. <laughs> right. And along with my white trash sidekick here. Yeah. Right, yeah, bitch. bitch. Um. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, we've been working together too long. Um, <laughs> this is also written by, uh, I'm sorry, Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls, uh, who are long mainstays of the show, as well as Mark Frost. And we begin this episode where we left the last, which is pulling the body of Maddie out of uh, the water. And then we are given the reservoir dog scene. Oh, the dream team. It's It's a whole lot of sexy. Agent Rosenfeld, Mm -hmm. Agent Cooper, Sheriff Truman, Mm -hmm. and one Deputy Mm -hmm. Hawk. Strolling down the road, having just pulled a body out of the water, trying to figure out what the hell it is that they are going to do next. And um, they, Albert has found, Albert Rosenfeld, has found a letter under the fingernail of Maddie to tie her in with the rest of the murders. Um, And there is also a bit bit of white fox fur uh on her um that is probably from a stuffed animal yeah which we know as as listeners of this show 
was the scene that made me giggle hilariously because I thought it was like something from the Naked Gun. It was a Frank Drebin moment of touching something and it falling apart. Uh-huh. Just to shove it in my pocket, uh, which I do giggle at. Like, when I saw that again, I giggled again. It's like, it's Frank Drebin. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, a Frank Drebin moment. I, yes, yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, I love it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the, they've got some evidence um, they have a dead body. Um, as Sherlock Holmes would say, the game is a foot. Well, and Albert has probably my favorite moment in in this entire scene, mm-hmm. where he goes to Cooper and he's like, "Look, I don't know what the fuck it is that you do. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're a super sleuth. That is undeniable. But like he, he's like, if you need to go to the lip of all of a volcano and do your dance." Do whatever you have to do to stop this beast before he takes another bite. Yeah, it's a great it's a wicked line. Yeah, yeah, so it's a great line because Cooper basically says to because they realize that the time of death happened between ten and midnight, and essentially the arrested Ben Horn at midnight or just after midnight, so he could technically still have committed this murder. This could still be, um, and you know, that's Truman's response. And Cooper asked for 24 hours. So all I asked for, just give me 24 hours to, to get in touch with the spirits and uh, get an owl of even Hawk. Like, just, you know, like, even Hawk's like, follow your heart. And, you know, and all the right, like, Hawk's beside him, you know, behind him. Rosenfield's, be- you know, behind him. But Truman this time is still, you know, we have evidence. It points in one direction. That direction is Ben Horn. He's the guy. Um, and that's that's what I think. And um, this episode really is Coop's journey to to solving the the case. So, which I, I like once again. I think I actually think we're going to get into all the reasons why this episode is bitching. But I, I really genuinely think this episode probably one of the best of season two. So yeah, I think it's one of the best episodes of this show in general. Actually. Yeah, I think it's really, really well done. Really, and they drop a lot of the nonsense stories, although there are some still. In there. Yeah, well, so. let's get those out of the way. Um, yeah. Nonsense story number one: uh, James and Donna meet at uh, the Double R, and they're talking about you know the last night that they had when they were out at the uh, the Roadhouse, if if we remember that. Um, and they're talking about the song that Julie Cruz was singing and stuff. And James is like, I like that song. And I could I could make songs about you, Donna. And she's like, Oh God, what am I doing with you? And he's like, Wait, wait, I got I got a ring, Donna. I got a ring. And basically accuses her of having fat fingers within the scene as well. Yeah, which is nice. Good work, James. I, I'm just, I'm just proud that he's not said that you're not Laura. So if he's going to say like fat fingers is a change, right? It's a, like it's oh, breaking him out of his loop. Data. Sorry. <laughs> no. I can't get in my head. <laughs> oh, Mister Data, and your fat fingers, your chubby digits. Oh. <laughs> oh, James, tell us all about this girl with the chubby fingers. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you, 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 you can give my ring up. Whoa, no, Captain Picard, no. You don't look like Laura. No, I don't. 
Um, <laughs> you look like Zoolander. Uh, <laughs> photographic evidence on the on uh, the podcast now. The stairs at Facebook. They are. They are. I'm sure yeah. to God it's one in the same as one in the same. But yeah. So they gives her a ring. She puts it on. It fits. Um, she's she says I do. They get married in a lovely ceremony. They settle down and never appear again in Twin Peaks. That's what happens, isn't it, Bo? Yeah. Well, let's go with that theory until we're proven <laughs> wrong by a, a later scene that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So James gives her a ring, and th- th- I don't know if it means they're engaged, but he's like, I don't think it is. I think it's just like a present. But he does say. Uh, you know, we should be together always, like all the time. And at which point, if I were Donna, I would immediately go hang myself. Um, <laughs> I'd be like, "Do you hear that? That's my phone." And I would lift like just like the, the fork off the table and pretend it's a mobile phone. Be like, what's that? I need to go straight away <laughs> to London. You see, <laughs> she could just pick up the ketchup bottle and be like, yeah. "Hello." <laughs> The Queen needs me in London? Where did you get that phone from, Donna? It, uh, it It's the FBI. I've got to go to Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> ah, yeah, sure. That's a, a, a bit of a, a tease for Firewalk with me. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Yes. So... She's leaving the table, which is exactly what you ought to do in that scenario. Quick is yeah. what you want to do. Should be a Donna shaped hole in the wall. <laughs> right. Just pew gone. <laughs> Smoke trail and everything. Uh-huh. That kind of Scooby Doo xylophone run. Um <laughs> so. basically she'd look like the DeLoreans just went back to the future. Two fire streaks leading up to a hole in the wall. Right, and it's just F.U. James is the license tape plate that spins. That's exactly what it should be. Uh, all right, but so as she's leaving, Deputy Andy is at the counter uh, s- trying to speak French over a cherry pie. Mm-hmm. And it's J-un-ame. Uh, solitaire <laughs> and um he's trying to piece together i guess what this means and donna is like where did you hear that and uh he says well it was the suicide note on harold smith and she's like oh oh okay um all right well i'm gonna leave you because you don't seem competent so let me go find agent <laughs> cooper like, All <laughs> Which right, is exactly Donna. what she does. She's like, I need to speak to Agent Cooper. Yeah. And uh, Andy doesn't take offense because he doesn't know anything that's happening around him. He right. goes back to his pie. Honestly, the fact that James and Andy are in the room at the same time makes it technically a special education center. Uh, it, it really does. There's like a there's like a like there's like an intelligence vacuum. <laughs> Like created where like it's just all like there's there's none in there, and Donna has to escape and escape she does to go and meet someone with an above average IQ in Agent Cooper. Yep, and so she leads Agent Cooper away from the, the IQ vacuum back mm-hmm. to the house where she saw mini David Lynch with the cream corn. Yep, and she. They knock on the door, and a, a woman who looks surprisingly like uh, my Aunt Amy um, answers the door, 
and is like, hey, uh, what do you want? And she's she's like, hey, where's uh, the lady that I was delivering meals to and her creepy grandson? And she's like, look, I've nobody lives here but me. Yeah, and, her mother died three years ago. Yeah, so it's not her mom. And she doesn't have a kid. But she does have a letter left for her by Harold Smith um, that the woman who is not the old crazy grandma lady um, was supposed to give to Donna if she comes back by. And it turns out it's pages from Laura's diary. It's like the last pages from Laura's diary. Right. And secret diary, secret diary. The secret. Specify that. Yeah. And secret diary of Laura Palmer. Um, she, it, she starts off by saying last night I had the strangest dream. And then the the scene fades into uh, the video for Break My Stride by Matthew Wilder. <laughs> does not do that. Oh. Does not do that. It does not do that. Don't listen to both. Um, I love this scene because, once again, I've always been a firm, a, a firm opponent that the, the movie Lake Mungo more than borrows themes from, from Twin Peaks. I've always I've always been like, and if you've not seen Late Mungo anytime recently, and you're currently going through the Twin Peaks journey, do yourself a favor, take a short break, go and watch Late Mungo, and see how influential this series was on that movie. And in that movie, what they do really really well is they do a, a thing of a vision which overlaps with someone else's vision. So the two characters, a mother and daughter, both have the same experience from two different sides of them interacting in a dream that overlaps they almost like on some level even you know they can see each other but they can't communicate um, and th- this is told over two different time periods and it's basically this scene because what we find out is Laura recalls the scene that we got of Agent Cooper's first visit to the, the Red Room uh, which we're still calling the Red Room but gets a better name later on, bear with us Um but yeah, so his his first trip to there, he's an old man. We go through the member the rock uh, stuff that happened, and um, you, you know, that gum you like is coming back in the fashion. Um, and she comes across and she kisses him and whispered something in his ear, and we get this told from the different point of view. So before Agent Cooper even arrived on the night of the day that she died um laura palmer had this dream and in this dream she interacted with an old man who she mistaken for potentially being mike um because she's never met mike before so she assumes it might be mike but she knows who bob is as well so she knows who bob is she knows that she knows that bob's coming after her. she knows that she will probably die on that night tonight is the night i'm going to die uh, once again very much like late mungo but we're not gonna that's for watch late mungo um but we get the, you know, she's she basically knows she's going to die because she she doesn't want to be, um, she does not want to be taken over by Bob. Essentially, that's that's the kind of short of it. But she kisses Agent Cooper because we see the same scene play out, and this is at two different times. Like Agent Cooper didn't have this until after Laura Palmer's death. So we have this final page from the secret diary of Laura Palmer that confirms a couple of things. One. Bob was, she was aware of Bob and Bob was coming after her and two, this interaction where she said that 
if you remember back to that dream sequence, the Laura Palmer that was there said that she wasn't Laura Palmer. She said that she was her cousin, but she thinks she knows her, and sometimes her her, her arms bend back. Yeah. Um, so so, but it was Laura Palmer. It was Laura Palmer in a dream, a dream vision. Uh, interacting with Agent Cooper over different times, which I love. I think this is, I think this is fucking incredibly intelligent because I don't think for one second when they were originally writing this that they had this in mind. But I think the way they link this part of the story to the original part of the story is fucking genius. Yeah, there's a breakdown that Agent Cooper gives at the towards the end of this episode where he's mm-hmm. like, "Here's how I knew this," and it yeah. it is just. Like this part of the dream meant this. This part of the dream meant this. It, it's really cool. We'll get there, but um, it feels like it's, it feels like it was always written that way. But knowing what I know about how TV shows are written and how Twin Peaks was ultimately written, I don't think it was originally conceived to be like that. I just think that a, a very good team of writers managed to pick up a lot of loose ends and tie them in in a satisfying way to to close out a certain narrative. Um, which you don't get often nowadays. They yeah. just did it really, really well. They were like, all these loose ends, how can we explain them? Well, these all feel like satisfying conclusions and they do it well. Right. And and Donna's like, do you think this is helpful? And Agent Cooper's like, shut up, Donna. I've got to get to Mike. And then just takes <laughs> off and rushes back to the Great Northern. <laughs> and leaving leaving Donna to be taken home by, uh, was, it, was it Deputy Andy that was there? Maybe it was. Um, doesn't matter. Anyway. So uh, he gets back to the Great Northern, and Mike is still in the throes of his, like, because he still can't get the El Dopa, uh, and he's still mostly Mike and not just, you know, mild-mannered shoe salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, Agent Cooper tells him, like, hey, Bob is killed again, which freaks him out even more. And he says, uh, Mike says, like, you know, back when we were, uh, when Bob and I were killing together, um then it was like a perfect circle. Yeah, like a golden ring. Yeah. And Agent Cooper's like, hey, I gave a ring to the giant. And Mike's like, oh, Bob and I know about the giant. And uh, he says he can help you. The giant can help you find Bob. And um, Agent Cooper's like, well, how do I ask him that? Yeah, where's the giant? Right. And Mike very cryptically says... You have all the clues you need. Which is just like the worst answer ever. Right. It's, you know, and then he tells him, you know, much like Mr. Miyagi, you know, karate not here, karate here, (laughs) and puts his hand on his heart. Yeah, And just before he walks out the room, he tells him to wax on, wax off. Right. Um, Bonsai, Cooper-san. Bonsai! And uh, hey, Danielson, wax on, wax off. Most honorable Legion Cooper, <laughs> uh, Mr. Miyagi as Mr. Tajamura. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> upon leaving, though, Agent Cooper sees, uh, as Albert Rosenfeld referred to him, the world's oldest bellboy. <laughs> How we described him, the world's worst waiter. Yeah, and so and being old and creepy. And gives repeating us, the same line again, yeah, that he does with the same thumbs up acknowledgement and referring to once again his glass of milk, yeah, it's like a repeat of the the base of the episode one of season two, right, where he's like, "Your milk's getting warmer," and Agent Cooper's like, "Getting warmer, yes, I'm getting warmer," 
and because everything is now symbolic to Agent Cooper. Um, all right, so one thing we we kind of left out uh, from the previous episode was that when they pull crazy Leland Palmer over, he does tell them, he's like, hey, by the way, I re- remember that Ben tried to call someone the uh, the night that Laura died, and yep, he about- mentioned a dairy. Yeah, he says he mentioned something through the wall, something about a dairy, d- dairy maybe, dairy, and the, the, the like diary. And he's like, yeah, it could be, it could be a diary, it could be a diary. That's right. So they're like, aha, more evidence. Right. So in this scene, in this next scene, they get the results of uh, the blood test from Ben Horn, although they don't reveal what that says just yet. But they also say, hey, we've confirmed that a, a phone call was made to Laura Palmer that night, the night of the murder. So it is, again, the deck is stacked, even though we know as an audience, he did not kill Laura Palmer. By all accounts, like if you were prosecuting this case, you would absolutely uh, want, you know, it, it, he is your main suspect. He is the guy that you're going to put on trial. Of course. So, um, back at the sheriff's station or sheriff's department, I don't know why I keep making that mistake. Um, probably because I'm not a very smart person, but the, uh, sprinkler system is, is being tweaked, which will come into play later. And, um, then agent, uh, or I'm sorry, deputy Andy and Lucy are talking about his sperm a little bit more. And how we can't have enough of that in every episode. Just, uh, but it's kept to a bare minimum here, which is at least, you know, a positive. Like he's calling Dick Tremaine so that they can have this meeting with one another uh, about the fate of Lucy's child. And, um, but more importantly, we are at the, the sheriff's department so that we can. Uh, have this meeting between Tojimura and Ben Horn. Let's dust off this stereotype. Mm. So Ben Horn is like, hey, there's been a problem because now he believes he's going to have to sign everything over to Catherine Martell. See you next Tuesday. Uh, Catherine Martell, who he he now knows is alive. And Tojimura shows up and is like, I, we have an agreement. I gave you $5 million. How about you give me that money back? And he's like, I can't really do that because as we may or may not remember, he gave that money to Josie Packard because mm-hmm. she was kind of blackmailing him too. Um, one of the problems. I would like to see how that check still looks like it's going to bounce. Doesn't look like a real check. No. Well, but none of the checks, like, it's it's like when you win the lottery and they give you that, like, eight foot long check that you got to hold up. Like you can't take that to a bank. You'd yeah, be a laughing also, stock. Yeah. Also Catherine Martell didn't have 5 million US dollars. Did she not? Not that, I, wanted, she not that I want to throw a spanner in the works. Well, why would, if she had 5 million US dollars, why would she be concerned about the sawmill to burn her down to make way for something else to make way? If you've got 5 million US dollars, you don't need to worry about anything. Well, that's her livelihood. Yeah, but and her brother. Plus, plus she doesn't have access to either. She's technically dead. She's been pronounced dead. She mustn't. Can't yeah. write a check. So, 
don't but, I don't want to poke holes in this story, Bo, but right. I'm just saying the rest is written really well, and this bit, not so much. Yeah, yeah, it's a little silly, but <laughs> all right. So Piper Laurie in this scene not only has to um, <laughs> do a god-awful stereotypical Japanese accent, yeah, she also has to wiggle her old foot at uh at benjamin horn and he sees her foot and one assumes because it's been in his mouth so much he's like catherine and she's like oh most honorable ben it is i your former lover i don't know why uh that went french all of a sudden and (laughs) it is i your former lover no (laughs) right (laughs) all of a sudden she's dressed like jacques renault um oh here's my foot no um and so she reinforces the deal like you're gonna sign ghostwood estates and the mill over to me and in fact here's the contract yeah which ben really quickly does because i think on some level he thinks i'm gonna get out of here i think on some level He's maybe impressed by the power play that Catherine Martel, who is definitely a see you next Tuesday, has pulled on him. But he's like that. I sign this. She does what she needs to do. I'm out here now. That's it. Game, set, match. Ben Horn's back on Easy Street. Back up there. Up at the hotel, chilling out with my crazy brother and my daughter who doesn't like me and my wife who we don't see anymore and my son who we don't see anymore. But yeah, back up at the Great Northern. Woo! Let's... And then um, she's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll tell them. Maybe I won't, you know. And then he's like, that would be, that's what happened. It's the truth. And she's like, well, you know, we've lied to each other for so long. You know, what's this, like, extension of a liar, you know, delaying the truth going to cause? And then she walks out and Ben Horn has what I would like to call a bit of a meltdown. Starts yeah. Going, starts going, Catherine! It's like, a grow a backbone, sir. It, it's really like the who has come to this jail cell <laughs> and tears it apart. Um, like mm. Keith Moon in his prime. Uh, by prime, of course, I mean drunken coke fueled rages. Oh yes, and yeah, just tears the ever living shit out of uh, out of the jail cell, and then you know, because Catherine Martell basically tells him. I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to come clean about me being alive and save you, which is kind of great timing for see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell, because we're going to learn pretty soon that he's kind of off the hook anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We're, he's on, he's on kind of borrowed cell time at the moment. You know what I mean? Things are going to be resolved barely quick for Ben. Yeah. Um, so we don't need to worry too much there that this is going to be a story that's going to run over six episodes. Because it won't. It won't. Well, not this part of the story, anyway. Um, but yeah, so he walks out. He has a bit of a meltdown. And yeah, it's a, it's a scene. Yes, that's accurate. You call it that. Yeah. Um, but all right. So, yeah. All right. But, but so screw all that stuff, because now we get into the bitching parts of, of this episode. Oh, yes. Starting with uh, a trip to the Palmer household by Donna Hayward, 
who mm-hmm. is dropping off a cassette tape that she would like <laughs> sent to uh, Maddie, which is the song that they recorded with James. And I assume it's because she's still holding a grudge against Maddie. <laughs> and it's like, I'll show you for trying to kiss my boyfriend. And God, it makes me shudder to say those words. But I, I just thought, I just thought it was like the the pre VHS version of the Ring. You <laughs> listen to James's song, and you have seven days before. Sadako comes and gets you, so you have to make a copy and send it to someone else to listen to. Right, like, what? what is this? Hold on, let me hit play. You look like Laura. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, that's terrible. I want to kill myself. Wait, maybe if someone goes, else... The phone goes and tells you you have seven days left to live. Bob's coming to get you in seven days. Or it's just uh, James on the other end. What'd you think? <laughs> Yeah, and you just leap out the a last person, yeah, The last person to listen to this song gets to marry me. It's like it follows. <laughs> right. Uh, fucking, <laughs> basically pass that on pretty quick. James so, follows. James follows. You're not Laura, you're not Laura, you're not Laura. I'm a symbol. I'm a symbol of the inevitability of death, Laura. <laughs> I'm going to walk behind you slow and creepy. But she's wearing she, she's wearing the sunglasses. She doesn't do herself any favors here because there are certain triggers that seem to kick Bob off, like and the which turn him from I am quite eccentrically controlling Leland in a fun way to I want to murder you. And those triggers tend to be anything involving Laura, anything references to Laura, etc. And she's wearing the sunglasses. Which, for some reason, when she wears those sunglasses, she then has to smoke. Um, so she's wearing them, and Leland's like, oh, you know, well, at first he says he'll send the tape away, and he remembers Maddie saying how much fun she had recording it, which is lies, lies, no one had fun recording that. That was also the same night you saw Bob, and it terrified you, just remember that, Maddie. Um, so, you know, he puts the tape in his pocket, and he mentions about the sunglasses, he remembers that they were Laura's. Uh, which triggers him off, and he's like, you know what I like to do to cheer myself up? I like to do a little dance, so he puts on the old music again, and then we get a bit of Leland want to dance, and this scene is so fucking wonderfully creepy. It's just, once again, this is Ray Wise doing what Ray Wise does. Um, like, we get these scenes of him putting the music on, and while he's putting it on, it's Bob that's putting the music on, and he releases this kind of bestial scream, which is obviously not out loud, because then Donna would be appalled, but he's like releases the scream and it's all like thunder lightning and striking all the rest. And he comes around and he starts dancing with her, and then very quickly it becomes very intimate in a very forceful way. Yes. And he kind of grabs her and starts sniffing into her, and but it's just at the point before she would get like super uncomfortable and try and push away because that's when the door goes and he lets her go and she's kind of a bit confused, you know. Has he tried to do something to me which is inappropriate, or is it just because he's grief stricken and well, I let go, so maybe it's not that? Um, and so she's left a bit kind of dumbfounded, essentially answers the door, and we have um, it's Agent Truman, memory serves, um, and Agent Truman basically says, You know, we need you to come with us, um, you know, we've, we've found that, we've found another found another body and Donna puts two and two together because Leland had a phone call 
from Maddie's mum saying that she'd never arrived. So Donna, being smarter than James, is like that. Maddie never made it home. Leland's been asked to go and see something. There's a dead body, you know, putting one and one together, getting to the dead body is Maddie. I need to go and tell James, who will not be able to process anything except she looked like Laura. Right. And uh, the other kind of info dump in this scene is that um, Maddie, or or that uh, Donna tells Leland, oh yeah, there was also this secret diary of Laura Palmer. It's like, secret you say? Right. (laughs) Yeah, 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 her diary. Everybody knows about that. The police got it. And then she's like, no, no, no. A different diary. And he's like, huh? Did it mention (laughs) Bob? (laughs) Did did it have the word Bob and did did it have the sentence Leland is Bob? Anything about molestation. And I only ask out of curiosity. There's no reason it would be in there. I just, you know, bit of a question mark is all. Um, How do I come off in the novel? (laughs) Yeah. Man, good guy, bad guy, murderer, ghost. There no, are so many like uh, he's chewing some gum as well, and there's a great shot of Bob chewing gum in the mirror because, mm-hmm. much like the last episode, you can't go near a, mi- a mirror without having a Bob shot. And um, but yeah, this well, whole... I don't think Bob has gum in his mouth. I think that's what makes it amazing. He's chewing gum, but Bob's imagining chewing gum in the mirror. Yeah, it the whole scene is so eerie because again, we know what Leland Palmer is and what he's capable of. And the scene where he gets kind of forceful with Donna, and you're like, Man, he's about to straight up murder Donna Hayward on this show mm-hmm. and gets, you know, interrupted in just the nick of time and by by Sheriff Truman, which is great and all, but man, I mean, we can't overstate what a tour de force uh, Ray Wise is engaged in in these pair, the, this pair of episodes. Um, like, he, he goes from being, like, completely charming and likable and just flips a switch and goes to horrifying. Yeah. By the, by the end of this episode, his performance is just wonderful. Like, absolutely wonderful. I kind of liken it to, like, a almost like a, a later day sort of Norman Bates in terms of all the different personalities that are kind of worn over his face and the way you see them. Um, and also it is worth saying as well that, and we've already kind of said by the end of this episode, we have really tied up, a, you know, a, a vast chunk of this particular storyline. And I would say that one of the reasons that Twin Peaks is a, as a series or a show takes a hit is because you are closing out the chapter of one of the more interesting characters in the show. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, it's the thrust of the show of who killed Laura Palmer. And now we know that what's to become of Leland Palmer. And now we know that. And And you, you essentially take away the idea of the Leland Palmer character to an extent and replace it with a lot more new kind of quirky characters, but I don't think any of them are on that standard. And I think that's where the show kind of starts to lose its you, you need that you need the big bad you know what i mean yeah and you have that in bob but bob's persona because bob's not really an actor in real life uh you know what i mean he was a, a was he not like 
He was a, a like a, a grip or something or an electrician. Yeah, and just David Lynch just loved him. He just loved that look and well, did his yeah. usual. He was accidentally caught in a shot, and and Lynch was like, "Keep it. It's yeah. perfect." <laughs> yeah. So it's really at this at this point, I would imagine then if that was the case that the I don't know how they were handling the Bob idea before that, but I imagine that the the intention was always that we were going to get Rewise to be the thrust of a villain in the show to be revealed over time. And as such, it's perfect casting. Perfect casting for the character. Uh, and this scene is brilliant for it because, like, like we say, it's all about the way he moves. It's all about the inflections in his face, his interactions with characters, what we see that characters don't see when they turn around and we get the glimpses of Bob. I, I think it's just, I think it's fucking phenomenal. And he steals, and he's, I mean, there are some great characters in Twin Peaks, but these two episodes in particular, is, these are rewise episodes all the way. And I couldn't be any happier about them because he does, he toured the force of acting. Yeah, it, it's really something. Before we get to the awesome shit that's going to go down in this episode, we've, mm-hmm. we've got to take one more brief James interlude. Where Donna has called James apparently to meet her at the dock uh, by the lake. And James rolls up on his motorcycle and he's like, you look like Laura. And she's like, I know. I remember I'm the one who doesn't look like Laura. He's like, oh, yeah, I gave you the shiny thing. And she's like, yeah, you did. And I'm really starting to question all of that, by the way. Uh, and she's like, but I need to tell you, Maddie's dead. And James has a good old fashioned meltdown at this point. Like, he doesn't cry and stuff. He's just like, this whole world's stupid. Not Laura. It's dumb. And people die. I'm going away. And she's like, what are you talking about, as per usual? And James doesn't really know either. It's a stupid scene. Because we go from <laughs> literally one scene earlier in the show where they're going to be together forever. And then doing a 180 in this scene where he says, what does their happiness matter if the rest of the world is going to hell? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what are you going to do about it, James? Like, you're you're like half a person, you know? Like, you got all the appearance of a normal human being, but then once you go, like, north of the neck, we got some deficiencies. <laughs> and, but, yeah, so he just gets on his motorcycle while Donna is screaming after him, like, you know, come back, James, come back. And James is like, you know, I'm not listening to you. I'm just going to drive my motorcycle. And then he's gone. And the best thing you can say about this scene is that James leaves the show for the remainder of this episode. Yeah. It's it's that moment where you're like, could we maybe have this scene play out in every episode? Maybe right at the start? Every episode is just a quick 20 second scene of James like, this is dumb i'm gonna go now and it just drives <laughs> off of, off of the show for the the rest of the episode i'd be down for that yeah, i'd be totally down for that totally totally down for all right that. but it's time for super sleuth agent cooper to to get some shit done here yeah i, I love that i love that scene because the coops he's the coops setting up his 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 grand magnum opus here of, of crime solving things. And what he's done is, and the good old fashioned Agatha Christie style of detecting, we're going to get everyone in a giant room. 
and we're going to play this out. And by the end of playing this out, we will know what's what. Yeah, it it is very Agatha Christie. I, that's the thing I immediately thought of uh, watching this scene because it is like we're going to get all everyone on the show pretty much into one room, and Agent Cooper is actually going to say, "I have reason to believe that the killer <laughs> is in this room." Mm-hmm. And it's okay. It's Ben Horn. It is uh, Leo Johnson being like wheeled Bobby. in by Bobby Briggs. Mm-hmm. Actually, he's wheeled in by Deputy Hawk. And <laughs> and Bobby says, "Go give yourself a raise, Hawk." Um, he's not killing up to that with Hawk. No, he is not. And this stupid like more and more Bobby Briggs is turning into John Travolta to me. Um, hey, look at this Agent Hawk over here. Um, so he's like, go give yourself a raise, Agent Hawk. And Deputy Hawk is like, you're terrible and I'm leaving. Um, so we have him, Leland Palmer is there theoretically serving as the attorney for Ben Horn. Um, Sheriff Truman is there. Who am I leaving out? Is that everybody? Uh, the... Uh, Bobby's dad shows up. Yeah, so the major and the old man who is the worst bellboy or the worst waiter in the world shows up as well, who was just walking along the street and said he needed to come to the roadhouse. And he offers Agent Cooper when he comes in, the old man offers Agent Cooper a stick of gum. And Leland Palmer says, hey, I know that gum. And the way he puts it is, is like almost childlike. That's my most favorite gum in the world. And the old man says that gum you like is going to come back in style. <gasps> Reference. And immediately there are like as the lightning flashes, we get still shots of everybody, and Agent Cooper just is cast back into the red room. Only now. Uh, he can hear the whisper of Laura Palmer or the one who says uh, that she is Laura Palmer's cousin. Mm -hmm. And she says, my father killed me. Yeah. Which, if you remember rightly, Agent Cooper said right back at the start after this that she whispered something in his ear, but he just couldn't remember. So once again, I like this. That that was a reveal. So she did, in theory, if only Agent Cooper could have remembered it. Back then, um, it would have been a one one and done season, and yeah, or series, and that would have been it. No more Twin Peaks. But we went through all this journey. Everything's the stars have all aligned, and she has told him that her dad killed her. And so, with that, he uh, he kind of wakes back up and is well, then wait not before seeing nope, the sorry. giant yes the giant appears in front of him to return his ring which he then bends then to pick it up um so that closes that part so we're now we're just closing stories here bro we're just imagine all these characters are a book and we're now just closing the books we're, the giant story close yeah you know um like the red room story at the moment close right here we go let's 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 work through it here the the ring handed out to solve this bit's closed right essentially for all intents purposes 
the Agent Cooper now knowing who the killer is at that bit's close. So we're, we're working way through it all, and Cooper's like, aha, Eureka! Right, um, we're taking Benjamin Horn away with us, and Leland, it may be a good idea if you come with us to serve as his attorney. Everyone else, you're free to go, minions. Let's go. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so they're, they're taking Ben Horn away. Uh, Leland thinks, still being cocky, that, you know, he's he's going to, you know, turn up there and, you know, do his lawyer show for a bit, but get away scot-free. But the coop knows otherwise, Bo. The coop knows otherwise. Yeah, the, this is all an elaborate ruse. To, a ruse. Um, an elaborate ruse. Um, a ruse. Um, ruse. Ruse. Um, to lead Leland Palmer alongside Ben Horn to um, a cell uh, I kind of thought it was downstairs uh, of the sheriff's department although I don't know that we actually get the geography like that but it, it's like an honest to goodness cell it's not just the holding cell like Ben Horn was in before um, and I, um, they shove Leland into the room yeah like they open the door they're like come on Benjamin Horn I mean Leland <laughs> And then they <laughs> shove him right in, and he and he, he, he does an ash from him. Alien. <laughs> he does an ash from Alien. <laughs> Starts spinning around the walls. Right, he's just... His fucking clothes start coming off. And once again, this is just, like... <laughs> that's such a good fucking impression, man. Uh, and such a good image as well. That's exactly what he does. Um, and yeah, he, he like... Inner Bob comes out, um, and Bob takes over. And Bob is not happy because Bob is now trapped, so he gets a bit raged up, starts like making noises, throwing things about the place, um, very much like my three-year-old does when you tell her to tidy up something she's left behind her. Just you know, stuff starts flying about the place, um, and. Um, you know, Agent Cooper is now going to spill how he came to this conclusion and he's going to tie it all up. Bo, the floor is yours. Well, we have our uh, interrogation of, yep. of Bob. Uh, and as you alluded to, like Agent Cooper asks him very directly, um, did you kill Laura Palmer? And he says, Woo! Woo! And then it, very seriously, he stops and he says, "That he says yes," and <laughs> he becomes what's was the name of that character from a uh, <laughs> uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the, the Christopher Lloyd one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What was his name? Doctor something or other. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Doctor Doom, but it's not that. But uh, that's what he does when he's when the acid hits him and he starts to melt. Yeah. Woo woo woo! The melting, melting. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so he completely comes clean, but he also says like this body is is the way he puts it. It's like it's it's worn and full of holes now, and um, so they've gotten all they need. Like Sheriff Truman is like, yeah, that's it. He confessed. We're we're done here, and that's where we get you know, God damn it, there is a break in the action here mm-hmm. because we've got to talk to. Uh, Dick Tremaine, 
and Deputy Andy oh, while this is yeah. going to like Fuck this scene. Yeah, just dropped in the middle of everything else. Like of all the the absolutely awesome stuff that's happening in this scene, we throw to Lucy and Dick Tremaine and Andy talking about the fact that we've got to um, take care of Lucy's baby, which is again, who could possibly care, especially when we're talking about. Uh, uh, yeah, so sorry. Yeah, we uh, fucking fuck this scene, Bo. Fuck this scene. Yeah. All right, but all right. So now we can get to the awesome part where Agent Cooper breaks down the um, like how he knew everything or what, what he. Yeah, he does an East Ventura. Right, where he's like, okay, so this all should have been clear to me from the beginning because what did the little man in the in the red room do? He danced and danced. Leland, Leland Palmer's dancing all over the goddamn place. All the time. He didn't dance before, but all of a sudden started dancing all the time, Bo. Yep. And then the, Bob the Killer was uh, always described as being gray-haired. And after uh, Leland Palmer's hair went white overnight, mm-hmm. that also is a clue. And that uh, this is probably my favorite, actually, is that as a kid, he said... Um, he lived near the Robertsons mm-hmm. and he was like, Robertson, son of Robert or Bob. And the, the letters under the fingernails were R O B T. It was Bob spelling out his name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Laura was writing about Bob saying, you know, Bob is after her, Bob is trying to get her all that stuff. And that's why Bob had to kill her because he wanted her. Um, but at the end of the day, Laura resisted and we're going to get some more info on that in just a second. And it was, you know, like Maddie could have either looked like Laura or he wanted to relive it or like any of this stuff. It's all Leland under the influence of Bob. This is it. And then from the, uh, cell as they're all kind of gathered outside that they hear the poem the fire walk with me poem mm-hmm. and they're all like well that's not disturbing <laughs> yeah that's not mike and they're doing that poem that's someone else yeah and he's he's promising to kill again yeah and so they're all about to take off, and then all of a sudden, the sprinklers go off because Dick Tremaine is smoking upstairs, and they got Fucking the new Dick Tremaine, and the we... aptly named Dick um, lights a cigarette, and the smoke obviously sets off the the water fountains, and, and the, the sprinklers, and the sprinklers go off, and Bob goes cree cree, Bo. Starts going a bit crazy. Starts running at the door with his head, which you know is not good for you. It yeah. will, it will cause concussion or potentially death. And they they rush in to to save him, but it looks like in the confusion, while they open the door to run in to get Leland, Bob has already escaped, um, leaving only the shattered remains of Leland, who is now crushed. By the full realization of what Bob has made him do, which is murder his daughter. Yeah, well, and that's one of the things Bob says is, when I was using him, uh, you know, I did awful things. And then 
I wouldn't let him remember. Mm-hmm. So as far as he knew, he was not the murderer of his daughter. And and so we get the kind of the full story where, uh, you know, Leland talks about the first time he met Bob and that Bob just said he wanted to play and that, you know, he, he got inside him. And from then on, he was like an unwilling passenger at times to his own body, uh, much like get out. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that he wanted, and it goes from he to they, you know, that there are other spirits apparently like Bob and that they wanted Laura. And that's where, you know, he has kind of the, the moment where he says like she fought him off and, and she ended up, being killed rather than being used which in you know explains her own behavior right because Mm -hmm. if she's constantly fighting off these evil spirits that are trying to control her well she's going to do some pretty heinous shit along the way and and you know before she decides it's better to die like that was that was the the page from her diary you know tonight is the night i die um so yeah leland palmer is has fully confessed his sins uh has has told us the audience we the audience all about bob what he is what happened to him and like you said he's just crushed like it's genuine sorrow and weeping at this point um once again really fucking wise and i i gotta point out like when they first come into this cell with the it's just a great excuse to have water pouring on them during the scene because it looks awesome But also on the door is a blood stain from when he was banging his head into the door. But mm-hmm. there's hair hanging from it too, which is awesome. Attention to detail, though. Ugh, it feels so good. And it does. This is this is what proper TV is like. It is like all right. So after he's come clean, and it's clear he is dying, and um, I've got to I've got to get this right. Uh, all right, so Agent Cooper cradles Leland, and he says, Leland, the time has come for you to seek the path. Your soul has set you face-to-face with the clear light, and you are now about to experience it in its reality, wherein all things are like the void and cloudless sky, and the naked, spotless intellect is like a transparent vacuum without circumference or center found as fuck leland in this moment know yourself and abide in that state because the leland abides and then (laughs) and then he gets all (laughs) and then he gets all zelda rubenstein and he's like go to the light leland go to the light (laughs) and and leland sees laura in the light and then he dies he crosses over he does with john edwards um oh no boo boo boy went from being like revered for a really good use of the big lebowski to chite uh that's how i play it sir on both sides sides of the fence oh that that kind of crossing over 
that kind of crossing over into the light may be something that is addressed in the first episode of the new season of Twin Peaks. Oh, well. Say no more. Say no more. Not trying to get you watchable. Not trying to force you to watch it. Not saying that it is imperative that you watch it. I would not do that. Not on this show. Not to you, my friend. Um, no spoilers on on Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies. None. None at all. Um none so they're all left to kind of ruminate at this point of like okay was he just a crazy person or is bob a real thing yeah and everybody's got kind of a take on it you know um some people are saying like maybe bob is just the evil that men men do you know um very much like simon in session nine yeah exactly right um i know that was a good i was i know i thought about that when i said that um, <laughs> so and <laughs> the major is, is around to say like well there are more things on heaven and earth horatio and uh everybody's like yeah yeah yeah. what are you doing here this yeah, is, why are you here <laughs> right and and but agent cooper asked the question and i think that a lot of the show is about this where he says what is worse to believe that there is an evil spirit that took hold of Leland Palmer or is it more disturbing to think that this is a father who raped and murdered his own child? Yeah. And it really is like, you know, it's, it's good to kick around the old peanut Duncan. Like what's worse? Uh, yeah, but, I, yeah, but I, I, it's a really interesting concept. It's a really interesting concept that would would be excellent to flesh out and further examine in a third season of Twin Peaks after this natural close of season two. It this episode feels so much like the end of the road. It really, really, really does. It feels like this is how you close this out. We have the kind of it's like the. It's like the final scene of True Detective season one. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's like that that monologue that um, McConaughey has about you know the, the darkness and the light and you know and, and moving away from the darkness and then trying to embrace the light as a character and all the rest. It's that same idea. It's a slightly twisted, more somber version on this side, uh, where they're base, basically saying what you know what. Is it the lesser of two evils to say that, you know, he was possessed by something that caused him to do it? Or that we as humans are capable of such horrible, unspeakable acts that it is easier for us to justify it by saying that, you know, he had a mental issue or maybe he was possessed or something rather than accepting the cold hard facts that some people are capable of doing horrible, horrible things. Um, And it's, it's a great way, it's a great way to close this out. And the sun sets on Twin Peaks until 2017. Um, And this is where we finish up this podcast and we will be returning with Firewalk with me, except that's not the case at all. Uh, If only, Duncan. If only. We still have, if calculations are correct, I think another 12 episodes. Yeah, yeah, we got a lot of crap ahead of us, folks. Um... But not all of it's crap. Not all some of it's of it, crap. Some of, some of the storylines are actually pretty fun. Um, and we get to spend a bit more time with characters that we love. It just so happens that we also get to spend a lot of time with characters we don't love. And a lot of storylines which are, for lack of a better word, 
dumb as fuck. Yeah. Um, all right. So I would argue mm-hmm. that. Uh, all right. Uh, this naturally, this is where this season should have absolutely ended. Agreed. Um. But I the the other thing I would I would say about this particular episode is that we have been a little more restrained, I would argue, uh, than than usual. Uh, aside from Picard's bottom, At which we did a lot, of, which we did a lot of, <laughs> but we I, did a lot of Picard's bottom. We uh, oh, yeah, but it was behave. it was totally worth it. Um. I think I think the quality of the episodes and the story writing <clears throat> is is just better on these two ones. And because we're really in the past, we could be really really goofy, and then at the end of the episode, something really dark happens, which ends us coming to some sort of somber note. But we've had a goofy journey up to that somber note. We really are exploring like that. This is the culmination of the journey for Twin Peaks. The story of Twin Peaks was, for all intents and purposes, is the reason it became so big and it captured the nation's interest and the world's interest was the the underlying burning question, who killed Laura Palmer, right? And it was this mystery. It was this mystery that was wrapped up in a town which was a little bit strange and a little bit weird and eccentric and had all these bizarre characters that lay beneath the surface of what should just be small-town America. Um... But we had all these tangents we could go off and all the rest. Um, th- these last two episodes are purposely finishing off that story. And as such, we get... It's far more serious to an extent. Um, and I felt... I personally feel that while we could have been very, very goofy and continued making like the most ludicrous impressions of things and all the rest, um, it almost feels kind of disingenuous to do that when you have the quality of acting of a Ray Wise in this one who basically steals the scene every scene he's on this it's like it's, it's impossible to take your eyes off him he's just phenomenal I to me he outacts um Kyle McLaughlin as, as Cooper in this one you know C- Cooper's Cooper's roles almost become like a lesser part even Cooper working out at the end how things are feels kind of rushed if you know what I mean yeah it's like and and there's a lot of things that don't really make sense or add up in terms of how Cooper came to this, like the the Tibetan action of throwing stones against glasses didn't really give us a killer at all. All it did was find out where she spent who she spent her time with before she died. That didn't make sense, because um, the initials didn't make sense. Uh, so. You know, there are lots of these bits and bobs. So essentially what we have right at the very end is we have all these loose ends tied up, which I can live with because, like I say, it's satisfying that you tie up all these these endings in a way which I'm like, that, right, that makes sense, right, that adds up, right, this makes sense, right, we've done this to here and all the rest. Um, to close it out, there's not enough of the goofy in these two episodes to make as much light of it. Um, because the scenes which aren't directly dealing with the Leland Palmer, uh, Bob kind of storyline are stories that I genuinely think are pretty crap, which is the, let's blackmail Benjamin Horn 
let's do the you know the reveal of Mr. Tojimura and um, while we're at that let's go and see what's happening with Shelley and you know all, all this pish and, and they're not funny scenes they're, they're not they're not quirky scenes either they're just little additions to carry on stories beyond this point you know it's the attempt to set up story beyond this forward thinking of what do we do when we've revealed this story how do we make Twin Peaks continue on where we start making other character stories slightly more important where in, in the previous season there would have been you know a minute here a minute there now we're getting five minutes with this character and five minutes with this character because these are the characters that will ultimately carry the story through um i would like to say though for this once again what i come back to is this overriding opinion and i'd say that myself at the start was you sit down you watch season one season one is you know fucking stellar you know television series i think the first season of twin peaks is up there amongst the greats just because it's a genre defines uh, it sets the benchmark for television for years to come and then season two gets unfairly harangued with this well you know a colossal drop in quality in season two we are for all intents purposes almost at the halfway mark of season two i would say there's maybe one been one episode that i didn't think was strong but the remaining seven for for the most part have had some really kind of dizzying highs some average sections a couple of stories which have been awful never went anywhere but for the most part the quality has been of a high standard to this point so as, as an argument to put back out to people moving forward is that if you are trying to sell Twin Peaks to someone and they, they mention about this idea that they heard the second season's really bad, I would, you know, I would kick off with that. It's, you know, it's not as bad as you think it is. It's just people remember the end and that's the taste that people are left with. Um, they remember that the last three or four episodes and they remember it being cancelled. So that's how they see that. Whereas you know, having sat down and watched them, I think that this particular episode, minus the Andy story, etc., is genuinely, I think, one of the best episodes in the entire 16 episodes we've watched. I think it's one of the strongest ones. Um, and it, it fits really, really well. And what's surprising about it is David Lynch didn't direct it and Mark Frost didn't really write it either. Yeah, had a hand in the writing, but... Um... That actually leans into, in addition to all the people complaining about us referring to the show as Duncan and Bo go, go to Twin Peaks instead of <laughs> Twin Peaksies, we did Twin get Peaksies. a couple of honest questions. And so I'm just going to pick one. We're not going to do a bunch of these. Um, so if you would like to leave a question, go to Legion Podcasts on uh, on Facebook uh, or the podcast under the stairs on, on Facebook. And I'll, I'll post a... a uh, a call for questions on both of those uh, Facebook pages. So, um, but power listener, Joseph Petrusiello, um, asks, the man that actually asked us to do this. Yeah. yeah you're responsible, sir. Um, <laughs> so he asks us, what is the best version of this show? The loose murder mystery, uh, slash soap opera mashup of season one or the bug nuts ridiculousness of season two. And I think the point you're making, if I may be so bold, is mm -hmm. that up to this point, there isn't that clear distinction. Yeah. 
that yeah, I think that's that thing that's spot on. I think people think that season two is just you know crazy from the outset, and it really isn't. It kind of like it kind of is to an extent where in episode one of season two we're visited by a giant who gives us three messages and we're moving on from there. You know what I mean? Which is an interesting way to start off a season. Um, right, but we had the Red Room in, what, episode two? Exactly. Yeah. The so. Red Room, to me, is far more kind of spiritual or, you know, or, or, or supernatural than the giant that visits them. And nothing, you know, we get more cryptic things like the elves or not what we've seen. You know, we get more information about Bob. Um, you know, Mike gives us a bit more of that. But Mike had already connected intimated that before as well and we'd already seen bits of Bob before so what I think I think what you I think that's exactly what I'm saying is that the first 16 episodes of Twin Peaks still lies within that kind of murder mystery kind of almost to an extent there's a hint of noir in there as well um, examination drama soap opera of a small town um, is all there and from episode 8, or episode 16, if you're counting right through from the first season onwards, that's when the goofy takes off. And if you're asking me what I prefer, there is no way I can't say the first 16 episodes are the best. However, I will say this, the last episode of Twin Peaks, I, you know, the, the overall last episode of season 2, um, is an episode I deeply, deeply, deeply love, because I think it's as bold as fuck. Absolutely 100%. But infuriating, but bold as fuck. So, um, yeah. I think you'll probably agree. I can't imagine that you're going to opt for yeah, know, the I, second half of season two over the first half of season two. I Well, I kind of like your take on it, which is let's just grab the first, what would this be, 17? First 16. Uh, 17 sorry 17 first 17 yeah yeah the first 17 episodes of this show and ignore you know the last 10 mm-hmm. um and and you've got yourself one season of an incredible show yeah um yeah i mean it, we're gonna go some places like i said we're not as goofy this time out but also nadine is about to go back to high school spoilers oh yeah it's yeah like and, every, everything that yeah everything that we've just said about you know all these sort of things it, it really got, and the jump is quick it's not a gradual jump it's the jump happens quick from from what we've just had to what we're about to get yeah it, it it's gonna get real real goofy uh, again but let's take a moment and savor the fact that, like we didn't talk about how this that episode actually ends which is with um a condarian demon rolling <laughs> through the forests of twin peaks yep. and then an owl flies at the screen well this is what they, they say um it's i think it's truman says if bob did escape the body then where is bob now right and then we see we see bob's spirit essentially float through the woods and commandeer the vehicle of a of an owl because oh i don't know if you know this but the owls are not what they seem yeah yeah um we're gonna get into it um i i do think that i think this pair of episodes though kind of represents what makes the show kind of wonderful which is this blend 
of spirituality with murder mystery with also the uh, you know kind of this you know not so subtle examination of the human condition when in the last moments of this episode not the Kondarian demon but in the the last moments of the episode where you're talking about like what what is worse I like isn't it better to have this external force that we can blame evil on than just to acknowledge that human beings are capable of that evil n- n- just by nature of being human. I and, links back to the, the title of the this episode, I think, which is perfectly titled, which is The Evil That Men Do. Um, and that, that sums up the episode, doesn't it? Uh, um, it would if that were the name of the episode. Is it not? It's Arbitrary Law. Is it not The Evil That Men Do? No, it is not. I've written that down from somewhere then. I yeah, I I don't know where that came from, but we mentioned it when we started talking about the episode. That's which just <laughs> proves that you have not I listened listen to me to once <laughs> during I, the I, recording I, of this. It, it proves that I never listen to anything you say and insert logical terms instead. I think it's because we couldn't pronounce arbitrary. Arbitrary. <laughs> Arr, I was like that. The evil that men do. Um, but that's that's essentially what the the theme of this episode. I think the the theme overall, like you said earlier on, of Twin Peaks, that's the interesting part, and that is Lynch through and through. Lynch through through and through, when you look at his greatest works, is always about the the veneer that society places on on how life should be and how life, you know, should be perceived. What is the ideal life? But when you peel back behind that, there is something more dark and sinister that that is in everyone. Um, And it's in all of our lives. And it can be something really, really simple. Like you, I don't know, you don't like to empty your kettle litter tray um, down to you have a murder basement. Um, you know, like yeah. the, the 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 swings, the swing on that pendulum can be can be quite shallow or quite high, and I, I think that's what's the fascinating the fascinating bit about the show. It's worth also noting that the the marked change, um, and the the tone of the show and the difference in the show is also correlated to the fact that David Lynch leaves the show. I think by now he's actually already left the show. Yeah, yeah. I and I think did, uh, what do you call it? Wild Wild at Heart was was about now actually. Right. So he's 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 off doing that. So he's off making which I would say is a fucking incredible movie. Oh, um, of course. At the same time, so he disappears. He only comes back to close this out. And the only reason he comes very much like this this show sets out the this to me is the the warning sign for other TV shows out there is like what, what happened to Twin Peaks. That if you want to keep your show on air or have control, um, then you, as the the person that is the creative mind bringing it to the screen, needs to stay with the project. You can't then just start doing other projects willy nilly and leave it and just think that it'll survive. Chris Carter experienced it exactly the same way with X Files and with Millennium, um. And we, we found something very similar when it came to things like True Detective. Um, when you when you have something that works really well, you stick with that partnership of what, what works really well because that's what pe- people are following, the voice and the vision. Um, when one of them goes, it's, you know, it's very difficult to, to maintain the, the full level of interest. Um, 
and that's what that's what happens. That's what happens here. Ironically, Lynch kind of leaves to do other things, and the show gets weirder and goofier, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. I and to your earlier point about it being somewhat of an examination between the way that um, the world is versus the way that we feel it should be. Yeah. Um, there is unsurprisingly a German expression for that. Ooh. Called Weltschmerz. <laughs> I'm not making this up. This is real. It's, it's called Black Man Jizz, you said. A Black Man Jizz. <laughs> um, it's called Jizz. It's, uh, no, it's Weltschmerz, which is the the depression or ennui that accompanies the discrepancy between the ideal life and the life that you actually live. I see, I love it. But it's because Sigmund Freud. That's why the Germans have a word for fucking everything. Um, I think it's, hold on, let me, let me give you the, because I know people are like, well, how do you spell that? Um, it is W E L T S C H M E R Z Weltschmerz. Weltschmerz. Ah, um, and what I loved about the description is the fact he used the word ennui, and I love that. No one ever uses it, and they should use it more. Ennui is a great word. It's a great word. Um. Anyway, so it, I, not to leave the show in a depressing place, but like that's the episodes we saw, right? We saw. We saw a human being who had been occupied by the this evil spirit suddenly realize what he had done to himself and his family only yeah. to then die. And only, only Duncan, because there was one super sleuth, Agent Cooper, there to guide him into the light, could he find some measure of peace. Yeah, that's fucking amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I would just like to say one more thing about that is like, like if you get the opportunity, and I know a lot of people shit on it, and I think that's unfair, and I think that when me and you come to watch it, I'm kind of hoping that we kind of come correct, so to speak, on the, the a similar sort of point of view of Firewalk With Me, but it's only when you watch Firewalk With Me that you understand that end sequence with Leland Palmer and the realisation, you get the full gravity, because you see essentially how Laura Palmer dies. Yeah. Um and it is fucking terrifying. <laughs> it's like like Fire Walk with Me is the greatest underappreciated horror movie of the nineteen nineties. It really is. No one ever talks about it and it's a straight up fucking horror movie. Yeah, I mean it is definitely a serial killer film. Uh yeah. only it's the with... closest I would say it's the closest David Lynch has ever come to doing a flat out horror. I mean, he has horror elements in everything that he does, but um, except Wild the Heart, which doesn't have any horror things. But um, oh, I don't know, man. There's half a there's skull. A couple of scenes. Yeah, there, yeah. There's like there's a couple of scenes, but not not. We're not talking Mulholland Drive, the thing behind the wall, or you know, the, or a the the creepy man and the you know who's who's on the other end of the telephone and in front of fucking Pullman and um, Lost Highway. Uh, or some of the fucking weird shit that happens in Eraserhead, or, you know, Frank and Blue Velvet, or anything like that. But when it comes to Fire Walk With Me, Fire Walk With Me is a flat-out horror movie. And um, as such, you know, it, it's... Yeah, we'll get to it. I can't wait to get to it. Um, there is... It'll be interesting. There is versions which is a lot longer. 
So I don't know what version we're going to watch, but there's one which I think contains about 40 minutes extra footage. All right. Um, well, which we'll, I've never seen, so um, we'll uh, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll find we'll find a way to properly send out the original run of Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah. So that is the end of uh, the good episodes. No, um, that is. <laughs> That is the end of the the story of Leland and Laura Palmer for now. Um, great episodes. Thank you so much for listening as always. Uh, Duncan, thank you for being here as always. Always a pleasure. I, I, I genuinely have had a blast running through these and we have we have quite a bit more to go through. Um, but it's just it's making me very excited because I know that we're going to have to, very much like the Shawshank Redemption, troll through some shit uh, to, to get to the redemption that sweet sweet redemption which is a brand new season a brand new fucking season of Twin Peaks 18 hours Bo 18 hours of Mark Frost written David Lynch directed television yeah I alright I'm going to try to great resist to as long alive, as I man. can but we'll... <laughs> it's a great time to be alive it's honestly this is this is like this is every fan's wildest dream come true, and um, yeah, I, yeah. I can't wait till you watch it because if you thought describing anything and anything that we've done just now was slightly confusing, that the first episode is going to break your fucking brain. Broke mine. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, honestly, this brain has been fragile for some time. I will be glad when it's finally broken for good, because <laughs> otherwise, I just feel like I got to constantly pay attention to it and like. How do I keep this stitched together a little longer? <laughs> if I can just, I'll, I'll, fl- I'll fly across to 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 Tennessee and I'll uh, I'll cradle you and guide you into the light. Um, yeah, just like you. <laughs> oh my God, that speech that he gives him. It's uh, the great. I want to read at my funeral. Um, what did I say? I wanted read at mine. Probably something stupid. You did want something stupid. You want me to do like an impression or something? Oh yeah. Oh, oh is it the, is it the ice is going to break or something? It I'm was. It was. Yeah. It was just you. You cannot speak to anyone else at the funeral. <laughs> they can't know why you're there or your relationship to me in any way. You just go to the head of uh, the casket or jar or whatever the fuck they put me in. Um, <laughs> the tarpaulin. Um, <laughs> And then you you say, please do it. The ice is gonna break! And then you walk the fuck off. You don't say another yeah. word to a soul. You get on a and plane and you go home. Right, back back to the UK. And listeners... How was America? Didn't really see it. Now, now I just... I delivered one line from the dead zone. <laughs> and urinated on a grave. And by grave, <laughs> I'm being generous. It was a <laughs> loose pile of leaves at best. <laughs> and urinated on a grave but Bo didn't say anything about urinating didn't he Corinne didn't he <laughs> right it it was implied um <laughs> so uh anyway we will be back in a week to talk about two episodes in which we're not going to be discussing um the duality of man and the nature of evil <laughs> But instead, talking about why the fuck Nadine is walking through a high school hallway. Well, why horrible things happen to nice podcasters. Oh, man. Ed! Ed! I've got my own locker! Ed! Now's my time to shine! (laughs) Now that Bob's caught, 
It's Nadine time! <laughs> Twin Nadine. Imagine yeah. two of them. Oh my god. Uh, Kill me. Yeah. Kill me now, boy. If only Bob were to possess Nadine. She's already got the super strength. What else do you need? Which, by That's the way... Good lord, the fact that that comes into play later. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, guys, we're giving away spoilers. No I know, spoilers, no though. spoilers, but guys, we got we got some things to get through, and I promise you, promise you, it's gonna be stupid. I'm, um, I'm gonna go out on record and say that I reckon that the episodes are gonna get shorter. Either that, or it's just gonna be this exasperated cavalcade of bad impressions. In oh, drinking, nice use of the word cavalcade. I love it. Well, I have. It's a cavalcade of ennui, sir. Um, oh, what are you doing to me? <laughs> I've got an erection now. Oh, it, I, I think. One. I think the likelihood is that for the first, <laughs> for the first thirty minutes of um, of broadcasting of the episodes moving forward, the first thirty minutes will contain the sound of my head banging off the desk. You know. Because it's more pleasurable than talking about a lot of it. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, this is where the love for the listeners and Joseph Prochutzi Yellow goes right out the window. <laughs> right, like we are we are on the precipice of a cavalcade of ennui. Oh. Uh, uh, Mr. Data, get your thesaurus, sir. It's a long <laughs> night and a the long cav- The cavalcade of ennui is my new um, online dating app to replace Tinder. I know that's my reaction to most relationships is only <laughs> that vague sense of dissatisfaction that only leads to misery. Yes, that's me. And it's yeah, not, let yeah. me, let me just say this for the record. It ain't their fault. That's me, sir. Oh, boy. It's true. It's all true. <laughs> also, uh, it's why I bought a monkey, but <laughs> we'll wait till next week to discuss my monkey related musings. <laughs> Monkey-related musings of my autobiography. Uh, <laughs> folks, thank you again. We're going to shut up now. Duncan, thank you for being here. Say goodnight to everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Blinded by the light. Wrapped up like a douche. Another owner in the night. Yeah.
you, mister It's only I got what it takes She said I'll turn you on Son into something strong Play the song with the foggy break And go-kart Mozart Was checking out the weather chart To see if it was safe outside And little early birdie Came by in his curly whirly And asked me if I needed a Touch is gonna make it through. 